Boy, it's been a big week. We've had some epic races in, uh, or epic, or it felt like multiple races, um, but we had an epic Formula One race, the Tuscan Grand Prix, as well as, um, you know, we've, uh, we've had some sad news uh, with the Bronco being confirmed that it isn't coming to Australia. But at the same time, we've also had um, probably the most exciting announcement so far uh, in terms of vehicles coming to Australia, and that is in the GR Yaris. And there's a little bit to unpack with uh, the launch pricing and then the price changes that will happen um, at a certain point. But to discuss all of that with me, I've got uh, Mick McWilliams here uh, on this episode, and uh, you can follow him at Lowflight Tech. But, uh, but hey, Mick, how's it going? I'm super, mate. How are you going? Yeah. <laughs> it, that, uh, that, that F1 race, it did feel like three or four races, didn't it? Because it had that many uh, red flags. Yeah. <laughs> that, that many Absolutely accidents. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was one of those races where I was expecting it to be boring. Um, and then it ended up being... We couldn't even get around the first two corners before we, you know, we were already having our first safety car. Um, yep. And then we ended up with a, a restart that was kind of a bit weird because of where that start-finish line was. Then we got immediately got a red flag, and then we ended up with a, another red flag later on in the race. And um, it, unsurprisingly, we got a Hamilton win, um, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah um but you know it's 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 one of those things where uh bodice had everything to to lose and um unfortunately he he kind of in the eyes of most uh, i think spectators anyway are going well he lost it all because he didn't win the race um yeah but yeah yeah but 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 what have you been driving this week uh in between uh races <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been having my own little Grand Prix. Uh, not quite, yeah. but uh, in the Kia Rio GT line this week. Uh, so interesting little car, um, one litre. It's they've actually gone down in power this year. Uh, they've gone down from eighty-eight to seventy-four kilowatts. Yeah, right. I'm not okay. exactly sure why. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, it's. It, it doesn't sound a lot when you say that in any other car. It's lost fourteen kilowatts. Like you know, big deal. But it's you know, um, it's ten percent of the power. Uh, for such a small car. Um, Seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. And, you know, when I drove it last time, when I drove the 88 kilowatt one, it kind of filled the gaps in a little bit better, but now it's dropped a little bit in that power. Mm -hmm. Once you get to um, the end, like it's got a really broad um, max torque um, band between 1,500 and 4,500 RPM, which is massive and very usable but again because it is um such a small motor you do have to rev it quite hard and you end up going past your um uh, sorry the max torque goes to oh no that's right when, when you get past the end of the torque there's there's not enough motor to keep things moving so the car does um tend to lean forward a little bit um and lose its momentum and then it changes gears and goes along the next one it's essentially the same as having a clutch really mm. um which is a shame because the actual car itself you when you get it hustling along it's it's really a lot of fun to drive um, they've got larger brakes in the uh in the gt line they've got uh 205 um uh continental tires on it so it handles the corners really well it steers quite nice and again because it's light you really don't have to lean on the brakes that much but when you need them they're there so there's a lot of room to move in it 
but again, you because you do have that big gap between the the end of your um, when your torque runs out and when the engine actually has enough power to keep pulling things along. Um, it, it does tend to need to be manipulated. So you've got to put it in sport mode and change your gears yourself and make sure you keep yourself in the torque rather than trying to shoot for um, for max power. It doesn't really make a lot of sexy noises um, because, it, again... Point, isn't it? it's, in, it's still within a reasonable price bracket range, which the Yaris, which was, I guess, probably used to be the main competitor, but that has exited that space in terms of price point. Um, so it kind of sits on yeah. its own and it's just before the cusp, I guess, of going to the next level where you do find um, a lot more snap, crackle and pop, um, if you want to say it like that. Yeah, yep. Well, even like the, you know, the I-30 um, end lines, you're only a couple of grand down the road sort of thing from these. Yeah, okay. I mean, these, these are under 25, which is good. And essentially, it's the same price as the Corolla that I had the the week before. Mm-hmm. So you're actually getting some spark for your money, whereas the Corolla had no spark. Um, it, was, it was a competent, good family transit, you know. Um, transportation pod, I guess, if you will, but it's not exactly. Uh, that's uh, that's um, making it, it sound really glamorous. Uh, really, well, yeah, really you know, yeah. well, it's it's not. I mean, you don't want to, um, you know, try and gild the too much with Corollas. Corolla, yeah, they, they do the job that they're meant to do, and that's and that's the great thing about Corollas and Toyotas in general, and mm-hmm. until we start getting yeah. into the GR space, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but, you know, Toyota have a, an expectation of what the car should do and the customers always go back to Toyota because they keep meeting their expectations. And that's exactly what the Toyota Corolla does. It's a very competent car. It's got really good space. Um, I liked the base model because it's got a full-size spare. It's got radar cruise control, which the, uh, the Kia oh, Rio nice um, yeah. GT line doesn't. Yeah, that's a really handy feature for something that's going to do most of its life in, you know, just commuting basically. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, do you think the, I, I really the think Rio the GT still, line, and, and and particularly yeah. the GT, still justifies ex- its existence because those small cars are really kind of disappearing um, quite quickly away from our from our markets, uh, and part of that is yeah Euro- European emissions um, rules and that kind of thing make it harder for small vehicles to to compete. So that's why we're seeing a you know a shift to even smaller SUVs, um, and and we we're going to be seeing a lot of those in the next probably twelve to eighteen months um, from a lot of brands. Yeah, but do, do you think it it, it it justifies its existence today? I, I think it does, and I re- I yeah. think this one probably the GT line um, justifies it even further than uh, like if you go for any other model in the Kia Rio space, you get a 1.4. Thankfully, they upgraded to a six-speed auto with the last update because that when they were paired with a four-speed auto, it was pretty slow. Mm. I mean, even with the six-speed, it's still pretty slow. But and the even good a thing about the Kia Rio old, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Yep. Like, it just sounds yep. like ancient technology. It's, it sounds like there's something missing. And there is. You're missing two gears. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially 30% more flexibility yeah. for a powertrain that's already being, um, you know, tested because the Rios uh, do have quite good space in this in this class. So they're bigger than a two, mm-hmm. um, more room than a Fiesta. I remember I got in a Fiesta ST once and I couldn't fit in the seat because the bolsters weren't wide enough. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But that might have more to do with my calibers and the vehicle's caliber. Um, but <laughs> I sort of digress a bit, but the great thing about the Rios is their size. They are that little bit bigger. Um, and the, I think why they've gone, um, 
down in power this time is to start complying with the uh, more strict uh, Euro compliance mm-hmm. um, for emissions. And remember, this this is a it's a sub one litre, um, so yeah. you can't expect a, too much out of them without having to. Um, you know, lean on the engine really hard. I think this is a pretty good space that um, gets enough performance for most people if they're looking at a compact performance car. If you want to drive something really hard, this probably isn't the right car for you. But if you want something that's not going to be too slow in town, which I think mm-hmm. the 1.4 is, um, getting away from the lights, you just get barnstormed by everybody. Yeah. Um, but in the GT line, you've actually got um, a little bit more oomph. You can, you can get along quite well. Mm. Um, it's it, it, you still going to use the key barrel knocking. in this, yeah, because it does start knocking on the door of as well, which I get reminded of is um the the Swift Sport, which is a couple thousand dollars, so that's about twenty six, twenty seven thousand drive away. Um, yep. it is a slightly bigger car than the Rio, but you do get. Uh, a bit more power. You do get a couple of the nicer features. So it starts becoming an interesting comparison because Suzuki has really kind of owned that small compact um, sort of area. And um, yep. it's it's one that I think a few people maybe a few years ago were a lot more conscious of the Swift, but I think it sort of falls by the wayside a little bit um, today. It has, it, was only... it has. Yeah, and, and even though um, the second-hand market is still extremely strong for the Swift, I even was talking <laughs> yeah, to... Basically the same as, same as retail. Yeah, well, I was talking to the <laughs> yep. to the general man. Like, this is going back a few, like, pre-COVID, but um, he was looking for a, a Swift for, for his daughter to, to learn to drive and to have as a first car. And he was looking at the second-hand market and even he was thinking um like oh gee these this like he knew that the the swift uh sort of customate the customer base and the efficacy towards the swift was quite strong but it yep. wasn't until he started actually looking to buy one where he started to face the problem going gee these are these these are holding on to their value a little bit too well <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, to, that's right. for him to yep. even look at going well, i need something that's you know affordable but safe and all that kind of you know fit the criteria for a first for for a first car um yeah but he was just surprised and, it's, and because it's it's got the reliability, it's got the cheap servicing, um, it's a fairly decent size. With the, Swift, with the Swift, it's got a really high roof line. So if you are a taller person or, you know, if you are yeah. someone who, who likes to, to not ruin your hair by touching the roof or anything like that, um, it Ladies works out really well. Ladies we've got to remember beehives. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> and it's one of those things Look, where I, I think... I've, you know, it, it's a it's a funny. It starts becoming a funny comparison when you go Rio GT, which is the sportier you know vehicle. Um, that is, this yep. still does have quite a small engine versus um, you know uh, arguably the next car size up. So there is that different argument of you know what is a, a compact or a micro, depending on you know how they the classifying. I can't remember um, versus a small yep. car. Um, yep. Oh, like this is a light. So the micro is the Picanto, obviously. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, I'd, I'd, if, I, if I wanted to throw something around town, I probably would get the Picanto GT line, which yeah, is okay. uh, yeah. eight, eight, 895cc. Um, fuck, it's a five-speed? Be a five-speed manual, and it's—I mean—it's no rocket ship, but it's something that you've really got to get a hold of and drive. You know, you've really yeah. got to take charge of it, which, yeah. which is one of those things that I love to do. And really, if a car that I would you, probably and, and mind you, if, if you if you love to drive um, enthusiastically, 
the smaller the car, the more sprightly the engine, the more fun you're going to have. Um, yep. You're going to have more fun in one of those, like the Picanto GT, over a more powerful, larger vehicle. Like, like let's just throw out there, like the R, like an RS3. Um, I guarantee you, if you're driving around the city most of the time, you're going to have more fun in the Picanto because you can just run through the gears, really enjoy it, throw it around, um, and enjoy general oh, driving. Oh, it's really versus... Actually, you can park in between wheelie bins because they look about the same. You can have a lot more fun in a, in a, in a more straightforward, lighter um, package than yeah. what you know what you'd say is like a... a, a modern small performance car um just because of how far those performance cars have come that you know they are monsters compared to you know sort of old school sort of standards oh yeah yeah um and so you really can't use them in most places to to really get the maximum enjoyment out of them yeah that's when you really have to start looking for track days and you know happy laps and stuff like that to to really enjoy them yeah, yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. They've the the performance envelope of modern cars is so high now that you, you can't push it. No, unless you you know you're lucky in regard to well, not just your license, but the safety of those around you was also mm-hmm. obviously a pretty important consideration. Um, Absolutely, but it's still like up and running. It's a it's a pretty good car. Uh, I got five liters per hundred k's on the highway, so mm-hmm. you know there's. Not too much complaining you can do about that. Yeah. I think I'm averaging about six point two now. I've done a few runs around uh, <laughs> town and that, and I did take my favourite road. Um, it's fairly small. Okay, uh, that's a good. But, but it won't feel like you're filling up all the time or anything like that, because I think that's regardless of how efficient or anything like that. If, if you're constantly filling up, that I think that's a. It, it gives you like the that false feeling of oh, I'm I'm burning through a ton of fuel here. Yeah, a lot of fuel. Now I know what that's like because I've got a ZB Commodore V6 that really likes to chew on the fuel, but <laughs> it might have something to do with how I drive that as well. But yeah. uh, 45 liters for the. Um, okay. Yep. For the Rio, which is okay, you know, it's, yeah. you know, you're looking at sort of seven or eight hundred k's out of a tank, which is mm-hmm. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like it's lost a little bit with the with the reduction in power. I I really enjoyed the red one that I drove um, last year, mm-hmm. but after the update, it's. <laughs> It's it's starting to try and do too much, and when you're pairing it with a DCT as well, it's um, I don't know. If it's it's not really jerking gears, but it sort of can't decide whether it needs to keep pushing up or coming off or not. It's it's a little bit too indecisive, which is a shame because I, I love the size and I love the way it handles. Um, looks great. I've got a I can't remember the blues called it. Oh, sporty blues, rather unimaginative, which is um, kind of uncharacteristic of, of marketing names for colours. But sporty blue is kind of um, pretty plain. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, aside from everything else, it's got you know great headlights. Actually, the they've upgraded the the centre display, like in between your speedos, okay, um, which is quite a high definition um, screen now. Mm-hmm. I don't know who was in charge of um, picking the lettering and the coloring and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah but it's got a real 90s vibe to it so it's got lettering like um like chrome oh, i don't know i'll have to take a photo and show it to you but yeah. it's got um the colors are pink um turquoise and 
like a cyan type color, I yeah, guess, right. or like the highlight. <laughs> yeah. So it's got that real sort of nineties vibe to it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 a nice car. I just um, I, I just want either a little bit more control or a little bit mm-hmm. more power. I think control would probably be the answer. Um, but you've had plenty of control over the weekend. What were you playing with? Yeah, so I um. I was playing with the the Triton GSR, so that is their their top model. Um, yeah, it is it is a, a well specced sporty vehicle, kind of going up against um, a few of the other sort of accessory kit vehicles um, that some of the other makers are putting out there on their dual cab pickups as well. But hey, uh, how did you go? With the retractable cover, which is hard. I like how solid it is. Yeah. Did you have any problems trying to get it to lock out? Or did yes. you work it out properly? <laughs> yeah. So um, when – and I'm yep. just playing on the, on, the, on, the, on the build your own, you know, build your own model pack. And so for those – if yep. you're not familiar with the GSR, so the GSR comes in three different – different versions so there's one with the soft tonneau um, accessory pack so it's a typical um, tonneau cover that you have on most utes you just peel it back and gain access the next one is a hard tonneau similar to what you've for me i kind of associate to like the commodore utes and the ford utes you know the hard ones that fold up and then the yep. the top one is the what they call like the roll top tonneau accessory pack and um it is a retractable kind of like i described it to my grandparents as of it to being like a, a garage door for your um your tray yep. and right. um yep. I really liked that you could lock it up and so nobody could really get access to it. Um, The tailgate has a gas strut and it's controlled by the central locking, which I think is fantastic. Um, So I don't have to really pull the key out and unlock the tailgate. It's just unlocked with the vehicle. So I I did like that. And with the gas strut, it means that it lowers your chance of either hurting yourself denting it because you've got a trailer connected and you've forgotten that it's, you know, the, the tow ball is a bit high. Or if you've got kids around that now it's still an extremely heavy tailgate, like every other trucky that that's out there, but at least with the yep. gas strut, it's going to slow it down a, like a, a considerable amount Enough to, pull your fingers out. To, to, to turn it from a complete knockout or broken skull to a, bit of a bump on the head and you know sort of learn your lesson for future that is the difference it is drastic when i had that a couple of weeks ago yeah when i had it a couple of weeks ago and we went up to black Butt with my father-in-law um or emu creek we were at we're yeah. in the car park and I opened it up and saw the gas truck went oh look at that and we must have opened it like eight or ten times <laughs> Just it was a novelty yeah it is a small consideration that changes um, so many things about it. it. It is, it is just nice that a yeah. manufacturer has listened, or maybe listened, or at least taken notice that hey, maybe like that is a safety thing, um, particularly when so many yeah. families are using these. Um, so even if a kid wants to gain access to the back, there is no way uh, a, a young child will be able to handle that tailgate on their own if it didn't have the gas strut. Um, but the roll, the roll. And, and I don't know if it's just this particular one on this vehicle or, or what. I'll probably have to sneak to a dealer and, and have a play with another one. But I found it really confusing how to use um, because the handle looks like it's meant to retract in, like you pull it to open it, to unlock it, to unclick it, but it's just the push-down button where the key goes in. Um, yep. 
And so it took me, you know, I, I seriously stood out front and took five minutes to try and work out how it worked. And usually most of the times which I used it, I resorted to opening the tailgate, unclicking it from the bottom and <laughs> using it that way. It's a little tang underneath it. So yeah. under the handle, mm. you can pull that one way or another and that locks it and unlocks it so you can push it and open it. Yeah. And I handle, should have told you that before you had yeah. it. I, I didn't because that's kind of guy I am, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, again, another little clever thing is that they've got a strap that's connected to one of the toe hooks on the or one of those tie-down hooks on the left. So even if you fully retract the um, the the cover, you you won't lose the strap towards the back. You'll be able to just grab it and pull it all the way through. And I, so you know, it's it it stops just short of being a you know one of those automated ones that have a little remote to to pull it back and forth. So I think it worked well. Um, the it still doesn't stop dust or water getting in. Like even so, we so I took it to to Mount Me yeah. today. And um, had a had a great time. Weather was perfect. Uh, Diagola National Park has got some fantastic trails, and um, we had a, a Volkswagen Amarok up there as well. Um, a friend of mine has one of those, and so we had almost exactly the same tires. So it was a really good test um, to sort of because normally um, tires is uh, you know it's an important part when it comes to off roading, just as much as it is you know when going out on track to how a, perform- a vehicle can perform in in maintaining. And, and finding traction across different surfaces. So it was actually kind of nice to have just by sheer luck um, to have similar tires on and to sort of take that out of the equation and sort of put it on the engine and the drive chain and, and the systems that are on board that are designed to help you. Um, was he um, the two liter or the V6? So he had the V6 uh, diesel, yeah. Um, so it, it it's a it's a solid performer all around. Um, his was a manual, so he did have that little bit of I guess. I always find that as being a bit more of a, a challenging aspect these days compared to the opposite because the torque converters now are just you know and the heel hold and all those sorts of features just are such an advantage when it comes to when you're in really awkward positions um, when you're navigating a, you know like a step or anything like that. Um, having yep. an automatic in those situations now are super handy compared to perhaps um, you know quite a number of years ago where automatics were just not good enough to handle that or even be able to take that sort of pressure. Um, yeah, there's only, there's only like a really small advantage to having manuals and it's if you're really stuck and you can turn the key while oh, it's yeah. in gear to make yep. it when I mean, you can't do that in autos but that's that's really it these days yeah. aside from that the autos are quite good yeah yeah so it so we we had a great time uh none of us had uh really any troubles of course because it was dry um the, the conditions obviously were in our favor compared to if it was. Um, we had some rain in Brisbane itself, but obviously where uh, Mount Me has been a little bit further out, it escaped most of the rain, so we didn't have to worry about any mud or anything like that, which would have made things more interesting for sure. Um, but no, the uh, but what I really liked was just um, it felt a little bit funny at the beginning using all of the different features in the vehicle itself that are designed to help you navigate different surfaces, different um, uh, types of uh, conditions that you're going through. But once you got used to it and you sort of got over that, oh, I've got a, it's kind of like, you know, that saying of like, I've got an app for that. 
there is really oh, yeah, right. it has a like it's got a setting for that. Um, so whether you've got you've got your full um, you've got your your two high, four high, then you've got your locking um, of your four high. Oh yeah, four high and four low locking, as well as you can lock the rear diffs as well. Um, as well, and then on top of that, you have your your hill crawl which works both in um, going moving forwards and in reverse, which is handy. Uh, you've got your different terrain types, which in the terrain that we're covering today, we're going across some new tracks and we were able to, to play with the sand setting, the rock crawling for, um, option as well as the gravel. And yep. you could, it was the first time where I was really able to tell the difference between how those modes actually helped the vehicle navigate those things. So say in the rock, uh, crawling, it would actually hold on to that first gear a lot longer um, to give you sort of to help you sort of maintain um, that pace yeah, maintain of pace. which you're going and, and, and stay consistent, which is really important to have that momentum going with you. Um, the the sand obviously kept the torque right in the perfect spot for you. It was it was really clever and I really liked that because um, we did go across some really hard rock surfaces. We did go across some really um, it wasn't sand but really soft dirt, which I sort of was like, look across the definitions that to me is closer to sand than it is to say like you know gravel. Um, and it was really easy just using the dial and the buttons and to play around with those. And that was fantastic. And it meant that uh, it was kind of funny getting the description back from um, the, the Amarok going, okay, yep. You really need commitment on this part. Like we went up to, we went up the, the, some of the challenging tracks such as uh, a break there. That's a really popular one. That is the only sort of purple rated um, track at, at Mount me. And um, yep. as you described it, oh, yeah, you, you have to keep the commitment going and, and otherwise you just won't make it up. You, he had, you know, he ran out of um, ran out of path towards the top, but once it starts to reach the, the steepest, um, it's the steepest part of the climb. And, and for us uh, <laughs> in the Triton, it was just like we're in, we're in drive, full low locking um, and uh, gravel, cool let's go just up and it was yep. just modulating the accelerator and and it was it was kind of a lot easier than i was expecting it to be and even when we came across a, a, an even what i would say a more challenging um trail that we kind of we weren't sure if it was really open or not it was they had tape but the tape was kind of cut and broken so we probably thought somebody else had by the time we we're going through and we're getting deeper and we're going oh, okay yeah maybe someone else just drove through the tape and cut it rather than it was open, but we continued. Was like it was, it was good. It was fun. Um, we really, it would actually end up being our favorite track. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Um, but even then where he had to really keep the boot in and, and, and keep it in first gear just to keep that, that power going uh, through to the wheels to keep the climb going, we were able to stop halfway up, take a photo, get the photos that we wanted to get, and then just slowly ease off the brake, jump on the accelerator, and just take off and keep climbing. Um, so that's what I really liked. It, it did quite well. We averaged about 14 liters per 100 um, over that time, which that's I think was good off-road, really. Yeah, yeah, proper off-roading. That's good. Um, yeah, the only, th- the only thing that I probably didn't really like about the Triton um, is the the air conditioning. The lowest 
temperature setting it, it goes down to is 18 degrees. And um, when you've got leather seats, the seats start to get really warm. Um particularly if you are sort of, you, you know, you're working a bit, you're concentrating, you're, you're focusing on the road, um, you are in the bush. It was got up to 30 degrees today out there um, and it just felt like the aircon just wasn't cold enough. Um, Did to you what we wanted. the overhead one? Yeah, yeah, we, we had it all going. We, yeah, we, we wanted it going and, and, yeah, so it just didn't get quite cold enough, but I do appreciate the, the things like the overhead aircon, um, which really yeah. kind of just sucks air from the front and pushes it to the back where you can sort of play around with where that air goes. Um, but it's great if you do have a carload of um, tradies or anything like that going in between job sites. That means the guys in the back, all the guys, guys all girls, will be a lot more comfortable. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Everyone will be more comfortable in the back, just that little bit more. Um but one feature of what was standout to me was the 360 camera, um, yeah. particularly in the off-road setting uh, or off sort of off-road conditions, I should say. It was great for because we did have a lot of trees that had fallen over because of the, the fires that had moved through there and um, where they had literally just cut the the trees or moved rocks just the perfect length for us to squeeze through but there was no other leeway there wasn't like you know they'd grab a tractor and drive it through and pull it apart it was just not chop that part of the tree out drag it off to the side and keep going and um we're able to use those side cameras just to keep an exact eye on how much room we had either side because the last thing you want is to have a, a great big burnt out um tree dragging along the side of the vehicle that that's that's not a fun time yeah. yeah and so that was really handy and then when we're going up and over um the key bits of terrain if you've ever driven a, a dual cab you you know that you can't see on the nose very well if you're going up and then looking for where you're meant to go over that crest yep. and um what what mitsubishi do really well they put a, a camera button right on uh, the left-hand side of the wheel so you can bring up the cameras and um, it uses that front-facing camera as sort of like your navigation guide. So what you can't see over your, over your, over the hood, um, you can see through the camera. And so it takes out the guesswork of, you know, oh, okay, how far to the left do I need to go or do I need to go off to the right? Where does it go? What objects are there? You're able to use that as an assistant to help know exactly what you're going rather than going up and over and going either A, too fast, going in the wrong direction or whatever. Um, so that was yep. where I finally saw after having cars with 360 cameras for, for ages going, ah, that is a really useful thing to have yeah, outside of oh, how close am I to the wall, you know, or whatever um, in the parking garage. But this was actually um, a, a super practical application of that camera. So I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed the try and we got it absolutely filthy. So I will have to clean it before I take it back. Cause otherwise I feel extremely, <laughs> extremely guilty. We've got some great photos. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it did a great job. We also had um, at the same time this week, uh, and we'll just touch on it quickly, is also Mitsubishi's Express Van, um, which is by all intents and purposes, it is a rebranded Renault Traffic, but done um, in the way that it's really more of a, a budget-orientated vehicle so it is a, a manual you don't have um your your center infotainment screen it is just a basic radio with fm and digital radio um digital radio quality is not very good so we didn't really use it that much because it was it sounded worse than fm um 
But in terms of from, it starts at about 38, 39,000 for the entry level model. There is also a long wheelbase version. And um, yeah, for a very basic, straightforward van, very little to complain about. Um, it, it drives well, accelerates well. It's very easy to drive as a as a manual. Um, having driven the Renault Traffic not too long ago in the automatic, both are perfectly acceptable. Um, it doesn't feel like either one is better than the other. Um, so this is a, a, a solid re-entry for Mitsubishi and also obviously a clever opportunity for Renault to, to introduce through their alliance a cheaper variant of the Renault Traffic um, through that sort of rebadged using the, the I guess, the little bit of brand equity that might still exist for the Mitsubishi Express fans from, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I've got a. Um, oh, it's not really appropriate for the program, but I had a really good road trip in one <laughs> up to the Gold Coast from <laughs> from New South Wales. Um, but the, yeah, always just one of those. Um, actually, they're actually um, very in vogue around the sunny coast um, for surfers to try and get those old secondhand um, the Express vans and high aces and stuff yeah. like that. They're, they're the they're, they're the new combis. Um, mm-hmm. locally you can see a lot of um, uh, a lot of surfers actually picking these vans up and they don't go for fancy stuff anymore they just want to be um, you know have a little bit of that utilitarian type feel to it yeah, um, it, yeah they're, they're becoming quite popular which um, <laughs> but I don't really see the appeal for it but I don't know um, I, well, look, they're, I they're think extremely... I actually have a good idea they're extremely modular the vehicles. So um, this one, for example, came in with a with a cage installed um, and a big rubber mat. Yeah. But if you want to change that configuration, it's extremely easy because you just unbolt the cage, take it out, lift up the floor, and change out the configuration what you want so if you want to build in a bed um a surf rack or or anything like that so even make it into a pseudo living you know sort of van you can't you can um it's pretty straightforward it's got everything that you could possibly need as a shell and that's exactly what these vans are all about um whether you're a business you know adjusting it to you don't really have that um, you don't quite have the same option for the naked um, V-dub vans these days either, do you? Because that's, you know, that's what the combis used to be like. They were very utilitarian back then too. I remember, yeah, yeah you know, heaters were optional. Um, so you don't really have that same level of um, freedom to get the, the cheaper um, V-dub oh, exactly. vans anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, well, yep. vans in general are, are getting very expensive. Um, it is just uh, like I'm, I'm looking into them for for a particular project at the moment, and um, it is surprising at how expensive some of these vans are. And I look at them, we're going, oh, what's so, what's so special about them? Um, it is literally, uh, uh, you know, a pretty. Um, pretty standard sort of yes, set of vehicles cool. um yeah you know, it's, a, it's a diesel engine on a on a big metal cube um yeah you know that's all they are and you know these these have the standard uh uh 
you know basic safety features um mitsubishi obviously leveraging off the renault accessories you do have a ton of accessories so even on the website when you're looking at the express fan they've got the the ladder that attaches to the rear door um as well as a huge roof rack system so if you're storing things on top and yeah you, you just have a, a huge amount of flexibility in what you, you what you're offering um but yes, you do get also a five-year warranty, um, which I think is actually better than Renault's warranty. I think Renault's warranty is a three-year warranty off the top of my head. It could be different, but I think the last time I looked, that's what it was. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I do find that funny. That sort of aligns with uh, obviously what Mitsubishi is offering for some of their vehicles uh, versus the others. So keep that, keep that in mind. Check out the warranty. Um, for them, the Triton um, is priced from. Uh, let me bring bring it up here exactly. So yeah, so fifty two nine ninety for the soft tonneau or the hard tonneau goes away up to to fifty four nine ninety. Uh, drive away with a seven a seven year warranty. Um, so yeah, it's uh, look fairly fairly solid in their pricing all around. Um, I've been. Pretty, you know, not much to complain about this week uh, from from either vehicles, and um, I think for me yep. that's a that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, I I really like the Triton just for its yeah. size. Um, you know, Previous it's time the I, same with I haven't really loved it, um, but yeah. I think uh, and there, and you can see there's a couple of little things that it might need updating in 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 future. But at the moment, I think it is very much on par with what everybody else is offering um, currently, even across like safety features. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even like the the competitors, I think we talked about this when I was talking about the GSR last week, the Hilux is around about the same footprint, um, but all the, the footprint of all the other trucks are much bigger. Um, so yeah. it's... And, and, and needlessly so, unless you really need that additional tray space. Yeah. Um, you don't need the additional cabin width, really. No. I, I thought the, the cabin space was, was certainly yeah, good Yeah, there enough. wasn't really much to complain about in that, that regard. Yep. So, um, you know, a little bit cheaper and a little bit more manoeuvrable. What's mm-hmm. what's not to like? Yeah. yeah. And I think and I think the styling update that the, the Triton has gone through, I think, brings it up to a lot more modern look. It's in line with the rest of the Mitsubishi design language as well, um, which yep. I think is is good to keep it feeling modern as well, particularly if you're looking through a dealership and you see the Triton. If it fits in with all the other flashy new cars, it makes it feel very much a lot more on trend versus, you know, usually the commercial vehicle slow, you know, is a little bit behind. They, they let that sit. Yeah. a little bit longer um, and it really sticks out you know when they've got a brightly different card and then oh yeah that's just the commercial vehicle um, yeah over on the side even the uh, even the express it it looks more neat and together than um, than the, than its equivalent the, the yeah. Renault like that's they look kind of awkward but the express looks it looks reasonably good for a van. I, th- I think it's the it's extra right. plastic Funnily enough, I think it's the extra plastic on the Mitsubishi that actually makes it feel a bit more together. Um, yep. I, I wouldn't normally say that about a lot of other cars, but yeah, yeah I think I think yep. the additional plastic um, probably helps it in that regard. Um, yep. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. But should we uh, let's dive through some of the motorsport news? We don't have Joel here, unfortunately, uh, this week, um, but we will touch on a few things. So, Formula One, of course, 
no race this week, um, but we will be at. Where are we next? We're at the we're at the Russian Grand Prix. Is that uh, correct? Yeah. So that yeah, should be right. look. <sighs> At the races that we thought were going to be boring so far, we've ended up with uh, some pretty spectacular races. So even though Russia has sort of had its history of being a bit boring, I do hold out faith that, you know, uh, chaos um, will play you know, will play a part and, and keep this interesting because we did have two red flags, a safety car restart, um, some spectacular re- retirements, and... Um, in the the Tuscan Grand Prix at Mugello, um, Ferrari somehow was, was able to escape the this the the special livery curse. They finished both in the points. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, because any other team that's run a special livery has always either DNF or just had a, an awful race but it turned out to be a pretty not not an amazing race but a, a, an, an acceptable race for ferrari and, and sort of what the situation in they're in at the moment but yeah we only had 12 cars finish the race this uh this one and you know so it's a, a lot of casualties yeah yeah it was uh i mean you don't want to watch the races for the crashes but the crashes were pretty spectacular yeah i mean the uh the restart um, who was it that ran at the back of everybody else? Uh, uh, Giovinazzi, uh, Signs, and then uh, so involved was Signs, Giovinazzi, uh, Latifi. Yep. Um, who else? And I, uh, you, you, you can kind of see did a masterclass of how to avoid an accident because they were both at the end. Yeah. Um, and they just sort of cruised through the the carnage and emerged on the other side. Um, Kimi Raikkonen yep. again finished. Didn't he, did he? Did he finish above both Ferraris? I think he was. It was the best finishing Ferrari engine vehicle. I think. Um, this yeah, time yep, again. Yep. Um, so who knows? We could see we could see signs replaced with Raikkonen eventually. Who knows? That's it's a crazy <laughs> prediction. You know, twenty twenty. <laughs> that is a crazy prediction. It, yeah, look, um, Ricardo almost kind of nearly, but yeah. no. no. Um, again, just pushing the Renault as far as he could, and um, still not making. He's only a couple of seconds behind. Um, Alex yep. Albon, who finally got a podium, mm-hmm. the, he was really like I was, I was really feeling for him because um, you know he's had some pretty unfortunate. Um, well, Hamilton keeps smashing into him is pretty bad uh, for <laughs> pushing him off the track. He did that a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, but Albon has had some terrible luck this year, and I don't think it's because he's not fast. <laughs> Because he is quite an accomplished driver, um, mm-hmm. but finally getting a podium, that was, yeah. uh, well, I was glad to see that happen. Um, well, I, but I was, still, I was, like, I was chatting to, I, I was on the, the usual call I'm on for the race, and I was like, oh, come on, Ricardo, come on, Ricardo. And, and then as soon as I saw the those hopes fade for Ricardo, I was like, at least it's Albon. He really needs a podium right now to really, I think, to prove yep. that he still deserves a seat in Red Bull. Um, and yeah, so I was so like, you know, so um, I, was, I was bittersweet for Ricardo, but I was glad that it was Albon, um, particularly at this point in the season. Um, yeah, he didn't want to see him pull a, pull a gas for, for Red Bull? I don't think it has. For next year, yeah. oh, I thought next year was still on. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to check remember. it out. It's it's still. I, uh, half the team still don't know who their drivers are going to be uh, next yep. year. So we had uh, DNFs 
uh, Lance Stroll, uh, Ocon, Latifi, Magnussen, Giovinazzi, <laughs> Science, poor bugger, yeah. <laughs> Verstappen as well, and, and Gasly. Um, that's that's bad when you have a race like that. You have so many people getting um, well running into each other and breaking, and uh, there was only a couple of actual mechanical failures. Yeah. Um, which was a shame, but the racing was was quite good, and I, I did enjoy watching that track. Mm-hmm. Um, the high speed corners linking together, everything looked awesome. You could see they were really, really hanging on, like the cars were working very hard. Yeah, um, and then that's what I like to see. I, I really enjoyed that race. Yeah, yeah. so Alex, I'm oh, has... having a look on online, and so yeah, Alex Albon still hasn't not hasn't got a contract for for next year. Right. Um, so I'm, I remain hopeful that he should. Yeah, I think he, I think he deserves um, that spot in, in in that car, particularly given that Red Bull haven't been um, exactly on top of the game either this this year compared to last season um you know it's just that you think verstappen has really been been driving the wheels off the car yeah i think there's been a few things with the setup of the vehicle where maybe albon has been you know on the side of where the vehicle you know the the 20 let's say the 2020 car has been very much built for verstappen and it's albon who's having to adjust the vehicle setup to, to tailor to him rather than um being able to work with a vehicle that you know, just as much suits him as it does Verstappen, um, because yeah. and 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 I think it's ultimately hurt Red Bull overall because rather than Verstappen and Albon working together up the front of the grid against Mercedes, it's it's been Verstappen having to fight both Bottas and Hamilton um, for those top yeah. podium positions until you know unless you know until the last few races basically. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, you know, and that's been a big key thing, and and that's what is extremely important in Formula One this year. I believe is a lot of teamwork to gain those positions. We've seen that work extremely yeah. well. I think with with McLaren, they've they've had times where they've been able to work together um, to do things. Um, Renault, even to a certain extent, I think we've had some really strong performances out of them because of a they've got some pretty good drivers um even you know uh ocon is probably someone who's got a few people offside but i still think you know he has um you know oh, he's, he's, still been, he's, he's been racing hard so yeah absolutely um i don't think um yeah i was just gonna say i don't i don't think he's um he has put a few noise noses out of joint but he hasn't done it by being ultimately reckless no. he's just been trying really hard and the same with um yeah ricardo has been driving the absolute wheels off his renault trying mm. to get to um trying to get points and he's been doing pretty good actually last yep. last couple of races he's, he's you know been in the sort of um you know top five or six um but they've done a lot with a car that's that wasn't really that fast, but like you said, the last couple of races they put on some pretty serious turns of speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with Ricardo uh, in the uh, the race previous, what was it, Monza? Yeah, Monza. Where he actually put on in the last lap um, the um, fastest lap, mm. and apparently the <laughs> I heard that um, the the Renault boss said, "I'm 
I didn't know that you were going to do that, but I'm glad you did. So thanks very much. But I would have said no, because <laughs> basically they said, uh, Ricardo said, you know, give me everything for the last lap, mm. and they gave him everything the car yeah. could handle. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there was. So, the, so I read an I was, interesting. I'm concerned they're going to run it too hard and blow it up. Yeah. So I, I read a, an interesting. Uh, I love reading Reddit comments after a Formula One race because they're just they're just <laughs> fantastic and they're also awful at the same time. Yep. Um, but I saw an interesting mm. comment by I can't remember who's. Uh, I can't remember the user who's, who who said it, but they said, oh, this season in particular, they would love to see the lower down teams where budget isn't as crazy um, in terms of restrictions. Like yep. let's say AlphaTauri, for example, um, yep. and go, look, and even Renault as well and, and say, okay, we're going to absolutely send it in terms of engine mode. We're going to turn it up and run the risk of blowing up the engine and copying penalties in the next race for yep. the hope of getting extra just a chance points. to get a podium or something. Yeah. yeah, because these last, and particularly these last few races where we're racing at tracks um, or racing in the time of year, which we're not normally at those tracks, because that was also throwing out a lot of the data that teams have. Yep. Yep. Um, and going, there's enough of a chance that even starting towards yeah. the back of the grid is not as much of a disadvantage. Um, yeah, there's a bit as more disruption in the here past. for sure. Absolutely. Yep. So if we're going let, to – let's just turn up the engine, cop the cost of running that engine to the ground almost like far faster, but with the hope that yep. we end up in the points and we'll be able to turn it around the next weekend. I'd love to see well, you that could just- because – you can just wait for another Tuscan GP when everyone crashes out. And the old torpedo, Danny Kvyat, he got um, seventh. Yeah. So, which is pretty high. That was pretty good for him. Um, yeah. So but I'd yeah, like I'd like to see, to see that too. But yeah. Way more aggressive, sort of, let's go, screw it. We'll cop the penalties and um, just see what kind of results we can get out. Um, particularly in a season where a lot of people are going, wow, <laughs> this is the season of opportunity. Um, because we're seeing a lot of teams and a lot of drivers getting results and, and wins that don't normally get those wins in the past because just of, you know, like Magello, we're racing yeah, at tracks that, that they haven't done. And, I'm, wondering and- if I'm wondering if that's just happening because Ferrari's slow. So it's kind of knocking a few people further up into the field. Yeah, and and they're, and they're competing in smack bang in the midfield where they normally wouldn't be, and so you've got, particularly Vettel, you've got an extremely um, accomplished and competent driver, and even in, in the post uh, post race interviews, he said, "Look, he felt bad for Russell, that you know he was right behind him and he was holding off holding him off for the last like three or four laps." Um, yep. And he was doing absolutely everything he could with that car to stop Russell from getting past. And um, and he said, look, you know, if I let him pass to let him have his first points, you know, you see that cord? That's what I'd be hanging from that. Um, (laughs) You know, but I think it's particularly, you know, we're going to be in the Nürburgring um, when it should be starting to get quite cold. So we're going to start seeing the opposite of hot temperatures uh, you know, like in, like we had it uh, at Monza, and um, we're going to start yep. seeing some really, hopefully, some single digit temperatures. And so, hopefully, 
even during those races, teams will be able to elevate the performance of the engine a little bit more because like we all should know um, turbos love cold air. Um, and if you yeah. take the issue of temperatures away, um, what is that going to unlock in terms of engine performance that can also translate into tire temperatures, obviously, because that's going to be more important to manage. But um, but what sort of things can we see from a, an extremely cold race like, uh, like that in the Nürburgring? Um, Excitement, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Anyway, well, look, let's uh, be watching smash... one way or another. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but let's, let's smash through some of these things. Some some good news um, for for the Bathurst One Thousand. It is limited, so it is going to have some fans. It's going to have four thousand fans. No camping, unfortunately. So there's a lot of fans that are going to have to find some accommodation somewhere, which doesn't really exist in Bathurst, but. Um, they just said no camping. They didn't say you can just walk around with your esky for like throughout the night. <laughs> as long as you don't park up, you should be fine. That's right. Um, but but that's just a that's a, I think that's going to be an exciting thing. I've been watching some uh, some college football over in the states and um, some where they've had small amounts of fans. It just makes such a difference to um, the atmosphere that goes on. I think Bill Belichick, even from the NFL, said um, having no fans there just feels like having um, it just makes it feel. Like like it's practice. Um, it's not yeah, really a game. Yeah. yeah, so having fans in the You see in the NRL, you know, you could buy a <laughs> buy a seat and put your picture in it. Yeah. <laughs> and someone had uh, Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. I don't know if you're young enough to know that movie. Nah, but <laughs> So it's a movie about a, a dead guy and they try and make it look like he's alive. So they just oh, like carry him around okay. for the weekend so they can have his holiday home. He was in the stands at one of the NRL games. Oh, wow. He's just this dead guy. Fantastic. Yeah, but um, they 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 have confined the the seating you see down to uh, Murray's corner, Pitt Straight, and Hell Corner. So mm. you know it, it'll be less people, but they'll all still be you know. Well, they're not really supposed to be congregating together. I'm sure they'll all keep 1.5 meters away. Yeah. Um, but at least there'll be enough there to make a crowd and a roar and a bit of uh, a bit of excitement, mm-hmm. and obviously everyone will be able to pick that up in um, in the pits as well. So it should be yeah. good. Still be exciting. It'll still be a great race. Still a great place to to throw cars around. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to um, to end the season too. I think it's a, a, a kind of a, a celebratory way to to finish it off. Um, but also yep. adding on to that, the at the Bathurst One Thousand this year, the Dunlop Super Two Series, um, the support series that yeah. follows, uh, will be back as well. We kind of see a lot of great um, uh, great racing great in that. Yeah, yep. it's it's a really good racing series. Um, but yeah, so there's sort of been back it's on and off on again off again on again on again off again um but it seems like it's 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 back um as of the 17th of september so who knows it could be caught off again um yeah that's right because even just on the friday before that it had been called off so who knows but at the moment it's back on so it's good news um and uh i love super yeah, so it's a yeah, it's a good series, and um, so if Bathurst one thousand, it is coming up kind of quickly. So it's kind of it's we've gone from no motor racing all the way through to end of the season already. Um, so that'll be yep. October fifteen to eighteen. So make sure you um sort of set those dates aside, clear out uh clear out your space in your in your TV room and set it all up. Get the eskies ready. Um, should be a good uh good weekend. And I'll um, just put racing on. My land room just cleans out anyway. It's, it's magic. <laughs> yeah, that's good. 
yeah, it's uh, it's a good way to good way to have it all to yourself. Um, yep. But no, so uh, but one person who obviously isn't satisfied um, with uh, with the end of the, the supercars racing season. Um, Scotty McLaughlin uh, will be going and making his yeah. IndyCar series debut um, on the streets of St. Petersburg uh, the weekend after the Bathurst 1000. So it's going to be a bit of a intense turnaround for him, um, particularly in a totally, you know, unlike a Formula 1 driving, Formula 1 driver going from one open wheel to another. Um, it's going to be quite a quite a difference for uh, for Scotty McLaughlin yeah, to make that change. Yeah. yeah. Particularly uh, when supercars are renowned to be whenever you have a Formula 1 driver or any other type of racing series driver jump in and they go, they're so heavy, they're so rudimentary. Um, it's quite un- unbelievable how they get this performance out of these vehicles. Um, and then, yeah, one of those drivers jumping in and uh, making the change to a an open wheel- wheeler. But, um, yeah, it's, a, yeah it's, a, it's... it's an interesting track too. Mm. Indianapolis, you know, a 50-50 sort of... Chopping part out of a out of an oval and then running through a um, yeah uh, a street ah oh, not really a street circuit but they kind of call it a street circuit in the middle there it's a, it's a very interesting and again another um, another challenge to throw into the to the actual race itself going from mm. um, throwing a gigantic metal tank around the top of yeah. skyline uh, <laughs> to trying to get to trying to maintain yeah. your <laughs> your grip around a bowl yeah. it's Big change. And it's just worth noting, uh, St. Petersburg, not St. Petersburg, Russia, St. Petersburg, uh, Florida. Um, yeah, so don't book tickets to, to to Russia if you're trying to escape through the quarantine <laughs> or anything like that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's in Florida um, for that one. But, yeah, oh, so that's, that's good news. Um, but, look, let's let's jump on some, some local news. We've got some exciting ones. Oh, I thought he was racing. Okay, sorry. Yeah, where were you thinking? <laughs> Indianapolis, Indy. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. It's um, yep. Yeah, it's a it's it's a pseudo uh, street ticket. Um, right. Okay. So it's kind of uh, I'm just I'm just put up some photos and basically um, it, the closest thing I'd say is it almost looks a little bit like a um the the Australian um Grand Prix track layout in a way, um, particularly as it runs uh, across the, the water and everything like that. Um, but, yeah, it's a uh, – if oh, you've played yeah, any, okay. any sort of Forza games, you definitely would have played across that uh, that, that track layout. Um, but, no, so going from one track sort of uh, – oh, That'll be a snap. That'll be easy for Scotty. Yeah, well, street, street tracks are basically supercars. In a nutshell, yep. um, but yeah, but this is sort of a, a a rally car for the road, if we can sort of say. It. But the Yaris, oh, the GR Yaris, we've been talking about it for ages. Um, we know the performance is going to be crazy from that from that three cylinder uh, turbo. Um, but the price is probably the thing that's created the the biggest stir, and that is um, so its normal recommended retail price is fifty thousand. Um, but for the first 1,000 buyers, um, you'll be able to pick up one for just 39 or 
basically a hair under $40,000. Throw it on top as well if you're one of the first, uh, I think it's My Toyota members. Um, First 50 of those will also get uh, 20 cents off per litre for the net, uh, for 12 months after they take delivery of the GR Yaris at Caltex. So not only um, will you save about 10 grand on the price of the vehicle, you'll save a handy, uh, yeah, uh, 20% off, uh, off your fuel bill every time you fill up. <laughs> Firstly, if, what I'd like to say is, yikes, $50,000 for the mm. GR Yaris. But having said that, 156 kilowatts per tonne, um, <laughs> That's pretty handy. Uh, what are they quoting this sort of 5.2 um, seconds? Now, I know there's things that do 0 to 100 faster than that, but this small car, it's going to be able to do mm-hmm. that, get back up to that speed quickly and take corners a lot faster than, than a lot of the competitors. So it, it'll be a really interesting car to see, um, especially when you start. I hope then. it sounds insane with that three-cylinder. If, if, yeah. if it sounds incredible, it doesn't matter how you know, fast or slow that zero to hundred time is because it's going to sound and look fast. And that's all yeah. that matters, isn't it? <laughs> the speed doesn't matter. Well, that, that does help because as we were saying before, you know, you get that performance envelope. There's only so far you can go, but you can be as loud as you want. Exactly. Well, within ADR exactly. rules, you know, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but it does, it does look pretty awesome too. So, so my um, question is, is that, um, how long do you think it will take for them to sell a thousand models of this? Because we're not talking about a, a Corolla that will sell easily two thousand cars in a month. We're talking about a, even a forty thousand dollar performance Yaris. And I know that sounds sort of more insulting than it really is, but you know it's in the name. It is a Yaris uh, for forty thousand dollars. Do you think you reckon what twelve months? nine months, six months, how long do you think it'll take for them to sell that many given that we can't extract performance numbers, like say from the Megane RS, the the Focus RS, or even the ST Golf? Um, like they're not selling, they aren't the main sellers within, you know, their model range. But I, I think there's, there's a few things here that tips the favor in Toyota's, Oh well, tip, it, it tips the hand in Toyota's favour, and one of them is it's a Toyota. So you you can drive the absolute wheels off this thing, and it it it's probably should not break. <laughs> um, you know, Toyota are, are usually pretty good at holding off um, performance stuff until they can get it tough enough to to take what you can throw at it. Um, and that's again one of those things I was talking about with customer expectation with Toyotas is the expectation is they don't break. Yeah. So having something that be this crazy you know 200 kilowatts in a um in a compact city car um it's it's going to be a fully aggressive vehicle but the mm-hmm. one of the risks of having a high performance vehicle is their reliability and their yeah. the need to be able to keep highly maintained all the time um but this is a toyota so it should yeah. you should be able to um throw everything at it and it'll mm-hmm. it'll just eat it up that's that's the theory anyway yeah. but i mean what are we going to test that against in far as far as toyota out previously maybe Celica GT4 I'm not sure how good they were as far as reliability goes but that kind of also goes into my next point is the link with WRC and I know we talked about this before WRC isn't 
the big be all and end all that it um you know it, it's not as um in fashion as what it was in the sort of uh late 90s and that sort of thing mm-hmm. but i think people know wrc know that um the yaris is in there um competing and doing well mm-hmm. and i think that, i think that will drive a little bit of demand will it drive a thousand sales i don't know i don't know yeah it's, it, but I guess, I, yeah. So you, you got those three things there: WRC mm-hmm. connection, it's Toyota, and the one that you like. It burps and farts and makes lots of noises. Hopefully, yeah. Um, if they can get those three things together, do you reckon they can do it in twelve months? I reckon they. I reckon we might, we might be surprised, and they'll sell out quite yeah. quickly. Oh, look, because I hope it is so, because it justifies its too. existence as well. You know, like it, it, it yep. says that it, it it deserves to to be here. Um, and also the thing, I think the things that have been overlooked a little bit because of you know we're talking about that price, but also I think a, a ten thousand dollar thing is going to be quite the bargain because I think a lot of people are thinking. I know a few people that I know who are looking at this and thinking about it. Um, are thinking, oh, cool! I can buy it now for forty grand, and then I can sell it for more once it's on the market. Um, yeah, yeah, fully and selling for fifty. I don't know. That's going to be a funny period where people are going to be wanting more money than it probably could be worth. Um, I don't know. It's it's a weird kind of thing when you look at the used car market. I know Toyota doesn't. Yeah, that is not something they really ultimately care about or should have to care about. I know that they're conscious of it, um, but yep. that's kind of a weird thing. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But um, the thing that I really love about this car is that it is the beginning of Toyota coming out and saying that they want to have carbon fiber in more road cars. And so this GR Yaris is Basically, it's, it's got more carbon than the GR Supra, which I find hilarious. Um, so it's got a carbon fiber polymer for the roof, um, which I think is a big deal because it lowers its center of gravity and then uses aluminum for the bonnet, doors, and tailgate. And it's the start of Toyota wanting to find an affordable means of carbon fiber um, production, which I think is probably the most important part because it's, it's resource-heavy. Yeah, take it to a large scale, yep. Yeah, and so mass and, and BMW took a long time to do that. When they introduced the the M3 uh, CSL, those roofs had to be hand um, produced, um, hand manufactured because of the molding and everything like that. And then they were able to find a way to mass produce the roof for the E92 M3, um, which was kind of like that that big leap from having it in just like a special edition to then uh, into a like sort of your full-on production model. And um, that's obviously continued for them. And then now I've been able to go down the path of, you know, the i3 and the i8 and, and how they're using carbon fiber um, reinforced plastic and that kind of thing. So, but Toyota really getting their hands on it and really going into in, and exploring that because of a way that if you can save weight, it means you're going to be more fuel efficient or use even from a, from a hybrid or electric point of view, you're going to be needing less energy to propel the vehicle forward. And that ultimately means better efficiency over time. So that is exciting. Um, I think, you know, they've got a lot of the, when you tick uh, the boxes of desirable brands or things that make uh, car enthusiasts excited, you've got, um, it also has a, um, in the rally, rally E, 
version that is limited to 250 it's going to have um uh what is it uh torsen limited slip def diffs on the front and rear 18 inch bds yep. alloy wheels and your michelin pilot sport 4s's uh, and of course red brake calipers <laughs> which i like they leave that last as if that's like the seal on the deal um but i think it's <laughs> anyway but toyota are definitely targeting you know that they call out in their in their press release the honda civic type r the vw golf r so not even the gti they, they're going after the golf r here um yeah as well as the mcgain or like the mcgain rs so they're calling those out for basically going we offer better value at a lower price point and um, I think uh, if I was probably some of those brands, I'd probably be, be a bit nervous that Toyota is looking at that because if anybody knows how to get um, efficiency and reduced production costs to offer sharper price points, it's Toyota. Now, I know you can make that argument that, well, they didn't obviously do that with the, with the Yaris because the price increased, but just hopefully that's not a trend that's going to continue. Um, let's just focus on the rest of Toyota and the history which they do. Let's just ignore the Yaris for the moment. Um, for every other manufacturer brand, I'd be a bit nervous that they're, they're going into this space now because we know that for the longest time that Toyota have been fairly conservative for, a, let, can we say, how long? Um, 15, 20 years? Um, yep. You know, they really haven't properly gone into a performance car, you know, segment until we, you know, the dip in the toe with the 86 and then, you know, the Supra with uh, with BMW. But now, you know, this Yaris is developed by, you know, their Gazoo Racing. Um, and, they're, and they're saying that, you know, this is the start of uh, their new performance brand. So um, I think it's definitely going to be one of those things. We're probably going to see, you know, the GR Corolla, which has been spoken about. We could even, you know, that, and, I, and I see maybe a GR CHR based on you know the yep. number I'm seeing around the road. If it's like you know, I I get to drive on soon. Um and so I, I I'm not sure, but if it's anything like the Duke of which, you know, where they share similar um, you know, eyes on what they're trying to achieve, that platform should be extremely um welcoming of a performance tuned uh setup. Oh, yep. Yeah. I I really like the CHR um, well, like I said last week, it just it just needed more power. So yeah. come on, GR, I'm I'm so, keen. Yeah, so I think it's you know it's kind of like Hyundai with their N and N line models. Um, they've certainly got cars with the platforms that will definitely welcome and you know happily eat up more power and a sharper setup. So this, I think, outside yep. of everything, this is an exciting start to know that this is what Toyota is. You know. This is what they're going after, um, and uh, if I was some of those other brands that Toyota have called out, because it's not very often yeah. that you get a car maker naming a competitor by yeah, model, because, like yeah. they're not just going, "Oh yeah, we've got the 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 hot hatch segment," or you know, or whatever they you know they they want to call it. They're actually going, "Yeah, the Honda you, Civic Type R, Golf, yeah, yeah. like." it's like a teacher calling out, you know, the, the gang that's in trouble. Um, yep. You know, that's that's a, a huge shot across the bow. And so, um, I, you know, I like that they yeah. maintain, because I, I asked Toyota about um, about GR stuff a while ago. Yeah. And, and they said to me that GR is, you know, Gazoo Racing products have to have a tangible and significant performance benefit 
over the um, the normal version. So they're not just going to slap the GR badge on everything. Like oh, I'm not going to pick names or point anybody out, but you know what I mean. They they want yeah. the the racing brand to actually mean something. Yeah, and it's good to see they're sticking to their word. So um, yeah. it's it's good because as long as they maintain that. Um, adherence to to that mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm-hmm. When you hear about one, then you can genuinely be excited because you know that it's going to be fast. It's mm-hmm. going to be a proper performance product, rather than oh yeah, no, we said it was going to be this, but it turns out it's just a sticker pack or mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. you know bigger wheels or a, or a sports kit. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, good, happy to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more. Yeah. Well, speaking of more, I don't know how much extra you could get with this um so we we talked about cadillac could possibly be coming we have seen some models floating around um which was spoken about before yeah um but now it seems to be that yeah gmsv are going to be offering the v8 uh cadillac uh here down under um, 485 kilos supercharged V8 power through a six-speed manual might just be headed our way. That's the article from Practical Motoring. Um, we don't really need to talk too much on this one because we've already spoken about it a lot. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's already been spotted with Vic Plates. Um, in This photo here is a, um, uh, in Ikea. So they're definitely out and about. They're not hiding it. Um, but, yeah, uh, this would be cool. I'd love it. Can't wait. Just who knows how much. Still, yeah. I mean, still left-hand drive, the ones that we've seen. So it's still a maybe possibly. I know they've so they've um, they've registered the, the Cadillac brand in Australia finally yes. again since yeah. I think 2008 was the last time they um, tried to bring some CTSs over. Mm-hmm. For some strange reason, they picked only the 2.8s. They didn't bring any of the nice fancy ones. I know they were already running the... Um, 6.2 liter um, Cadillac CTSVs back then yeah. in wagons with manuals. Hint, hint. Anybody that's listening, um, <laughs> but um, you know, it was it, it was something that I floated at the time um, when I was on GM Inside News that <clears throat> they were looking at having um, premium dealers to sell GM's best global products in Australia. So um, having Saab in there as well. Oh yeah. Um, Actually, Buick, some of the stuff that they were doing for Buick, like the Park Avenues and things were, mm-hmm. were a bit nicer until they started being Caprices, but the Cadillacs as well. And they could have put a few other things in there, GMCs. They could have put the GMC Denali's over and put them in that higher sort of price bracket above the, yeah. um, the whole brands. Um, but it all um, obviously fell in the water after General Motors went bankrupt in the, in the US and um, mm. had to borrow you can't see me doing quotey fingers um 10 billion dollars or whatever it was yeah so they really got smashed and apparently they paid it back quotey fingers again um (laughs) but yeah i just i really want it to happen but i just it seems to me that general motors has been contracting quite significantly over the last five years from everywhere so they're out of europe obviously they dropped out from here they've um, dropped out of a lot of the spaces in asia as well yeah they're contracting their business to try and focus on developing their ev products um which is i mean it's it's a good thing that they're developing the ev products because they obviously need to do that obviously the market is definitely going that way mm-hmm. I just, ooh, I need to see one on the road here with the wheel yeah. on the correct side before mm-hmm. I can nod my head. I would love to think that they they could do a, a black wing, 
but I don't even think the black, I thought the blackwing was an endangered species in the US, let alone in Australia. So I don't think they had any spare ones left over. They just decided to nicely give us and, um, and let. Look, there's uh, there's always a part bin somewhere that someone trips over and goes, what do we do with this? Uh, I don't know um, who will buy the bin. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's how we get it. I think, I think that's how it works, is it? With Australia? Yeah, it must be. Uh, actually, I was going to say something about that guy that got caught um, chucking all the V8 engines or selling them out the back uh-huh. of, uh, <laughs> out of the storage shed. I'm sure it was just a big parts bin, but uh, that guy got caught anyway. That was quite a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. I saw a CTS a couple of years ago um, in the Middle East, actually. Okay. And it just stood out like a sore thumb. It looked so good. And it was the model before this. This is this is this CT six they've got in the in the image? CT five? CT six. Yeah, so that's the twin turbo. So that's that's basically the Commodore engine with turbos banged on it, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, but again, very thirsty car. It better like really blow the doors off things because it's it's kind of a risk. I don't think people are going to be looking at the Cadillac thing saying, hey, I want a luxury car. I'm going to go look at an expensive Cadillac with a 6.2 litre V8. This is going to have to be um, taking the fight against uh, AMG. Um, I don't know, what do you reckon, E63s or? Yeah, where, it, or what, it really has to. And, and even, you know, um, like that, that market is just shrinking rapidly. Um, yeah. That, that space it is not an expanding space and so it is always something that i look at and go yeah that's really nice it'd be nice to have but there's probably other things higher on the shopping list that people would prefer to go to and um yeah like if this was an suv it will probably would sell amazingly but because it's a large yeah. sedan it's already an endangered species um every month we see that those sales figures shrink even further um you know, and it's really only those European makers that are holding on to those, like you know, the the five series E class and the um, and the the six. Um, but even the A six, they only sold, I think, it was like twelve models or something last year. Like it's it's even there are really low production or you know really low sales volume. And um, if you're GMSV, you're going to be looking at them. You're going to be saying, well how many do we need to sell to make you know and recoup the the cost of the conversion the research development the time the man yep. hours that goes into it not just the product cost but the man hours that goes into it and um, yep. and I think that's the whole exercise that they're going through right now even with those evaluation vehicles you know or yeah with those vehicles that they've got here registered at the moment um and say so it looks the, incredibly Car parked in front of is actually mm. over the line. Yeah, I mean it's quite big. It's is it Commodore or is it bigger? Like, uh, mm. uh, it's a bit hard yeah, to tell. But I guess to you know, no, like it's a Corolla it's, that's parked behind it. Um, but I would say, yeah, the Commodore size, yeah, definitely large car yeah. size. Um, it's so just that we go front back to the looking at is is quite tall which sort of throws the proportions yeah. off might be the angle anyway yeah when you're when you're talking about that um that market though i guess if we just go back to that briefly mm-hmm. um definitely shrinking but is that because when you're looking at a um an e-series or uh sorry an e-class or a um 
or a five series or six series or anything that, you know, your, your numbers start, your prices are starting in the sort of twos and threes um, for performance versions. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there is something there for a, for a $120,000 fast sedan mm. or maybe probably 150, I would, <laughs> I would hazard a guess. It's, yeah, it's not going to be cheap, you definitely, but you it definitely is going to be fast. definitely have to be under 150000 to really be in that conversation mix for the European, like, M3s, M4s level of, you know, C63. So kind of like how, yeah. you know, Holden positioned itself where it's like M5 performance for the 3 Series price. That is kind of how they need to compete because... I don't think Cadillac has that European attraction. Yeah, like it doesn't have the the luster of like say the pickup trucks have. Um, yeah, I, it's a tough one. I'd love to see them, but I just don't know how many they would sell um, in a realistic market, particularly for what we're going through right now. And mm. if it was an SUV, it probably you know one of the SUV variants. I think they would they would fare better. Um, from a from a you know from a production level sales volume level um, that would make more economic sense for them unless they were getting government support because they needed to inject jobs back into Australia that's the, that's the flip side of what I I see from a from a political play and I don't really want to get political but yeah. basically I look hey we could bring this many jobs um, we need this much per car to to make it work and that's how we could get better pricing. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think it's a tough sell with a large sedan, um, particularly where fuel economy won't be anywhere near like the Europe, the performance cars in Europe because they have to, you know, meet those stringent emissions and um, yeah, and, and you know, fuel economy is very much at the forefront of those conversations anyway, regardless of you know whether they realistically get close to that, but um. Yeah, like that's the – I think that's the difference with these. Like that's 485 kilowatts of V8 power. Like you're talking like that's monstrous. Like that is – they're not even talking like yeah. supplemented by hybrid power or anything like that. So your fuel economy – we already know a GTS, uh, like a Gen F GDS was a very thirsty <laughs> – very thirsty. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Not just like – you're talking like in the 20s in terms of liters per 100. Um I think the LT4s are supposed to be a lot better, though. So, um, and one of the issues I had with the Blackwings because it's a um, quad cam unit um, yeah. takes up a lot of space. It is quite a quite a large vehicle, but obviously there's some um, pretty significant advantages when it comes to fuel economy. But again, it's a 6.2 liter V8, so because even right, you know, gonna, it's, it's going to have a bit of a drink. Staring at the red car, you know, even Kia Stinger. That's at fifty thousand, or you know, the rough ballpark, and and sales figures for that has really dropped off after the initial excitement washed away, and they have the advantage of them being you know chosen as highway patrol cars, um, even uh, what else? I just lost, <laughs> I lost what I was saying. Um, but essentially, like you know, and and even there was talk about you know whether Kia will reevaluate the next generation coming to Australia for that. And so even if a fifty thousand dollar performance orientated sedan um, doesn't you know can't maintain the momentum of sales, could you know could one of these add double the price or even more? 
sort of you know survive. Yeah, but I think that's a long-term question. They're doing about we'll to, yeah, yeah. Because uh, anybody from GMS wants to year talk to us, stingers. we'll uh, we'll happily. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, understand your, you know, it's sort of because I'd love to talk about the process of which they have to go to, particularly in the new environment, um, you know, to to look at, you know, what what avenues they're exploring to either reduce that that production cost for them, you know, how that how that deal with GM works in terms of um, wholesale pricing uh, for those vehicles, because obviously previously when they were buying, um, when other importers were buying vehicles at retail and then importing them over and then converting them and then selling them at retail, you know, that's a very expensive um, sort of way to do it. But if they can get sort of like, you know, that direct from manufacturer subsidized sort of pricing, um, and then yep. get some. Well, it's gonna. It'll, I don't know. It's it's just I, I it's a very messy thing. I assume they'll be coming over with, you know, the bare essentials attached when it comes to uh, things like the dash um, yeah. fit outs and stuff. I assume they they may just like get the the additional components in boxes, but just have a dash coming that'll be pulled out and chucked out anyway. Which I, um, I yeah, but the, because. You know, it would be great if you could have an import deal, knowing that these are going to be converted, and then uh, Jam could just go, just emit from even finishing the vehicle. Like it gets to that certain point of the the production phase, it skips, you know, yeah. that interior side of the fit out and just goes completely so into this- into the container and you know off to Australia. So essentially, built to lock up. Yeah. 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 You know, that would. Be I mean, like they're, they're already. <laughs> they're already well experienced in the actual oh, of course. production yeah, of interior doing. components and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And their quality has come a long way um, since previously. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, it, yeah, we could talk about it a lot longer, but I think um, in general, it's just a, we're getting more and more info, more of it's pointing to it. Um, but it's uh, just how well it's, it's a risky play, work. but it is a sexy, yeah. risky play. It is. Well, we're all for it, particularly if they bring the wagon version. But yeah, you know, <laughs> we're biased. <laughs> just have to build one just for us. Yeah. Yep. But one that will probably sell in in greater numbers is uh, the Ford Ranger F4X Max. Kind of like the names, um, but yeah, it has thirty two inch BF Goodrich all terrain tires, uh, Fox Shock absorbers, um, thirty five hundred kilos of towing, and a Ranger Raptor inspired capability. Yeah, that's that's the what the press release says. Um, but yeah, nine hundred eighty one kilo payload, thirty five hundred kilo towing. It's got all your features, including Ford. Pass Connect, Embedded Modem, Sync 3, um, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. Um, and, uh, yeah, looking at these photos, it just sort of looks like the F1, you know, just hurry up and bring the F-150 and stop doing these sort of extreme models. That's all I'm thinking. <laughs> That's all right. Spite the bullet. <laughs> yeah, the um, I think the F-150 is a bit, of a bit of a challenging beast at the moment, they, you know, where they're, um, I don't know if they've had like significant issues, but issues with the aluminium stuff, yeah. the cost to repair something like that would be astronomical. 
yeah. ridiculous. I mean, mm. they obviously they can have the capabilities to do that in the US, but it's an it's another brand new support capability you'd have to be able to deploy yeah. across yeah. your dealers. So, yeah, I don't mean to run on your parade, but <laughs> stop hitting me with reality. You're the one wanting CD six, <laughs> so come on. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Unrealistic. Um, these do look great on both sides. Still, the the ranges do they just. I don't know. They, it's hard to keep up it, with which one is, you know, which one should I be aspiring to own? That's that's my question um, with all these different yeah. new models. So this one is 65940 That's the list price. Um, if you want the tech pack on it, so that has adaptive cruise control, semi-active uh, like park assist, that is um, – Oh, semi-auto active park assist, I should say. That's $800. Prestige paint, whatever, $650. Um, but if you want stickers, your FX4 Max decal set, that's $750. So, which I find hilarious. Yeah, I reckon so I'd prestige say paint $750. It's $650. And a sticker set that goes on top of that paint is $750. I'd know <laughs> yeah. where I'd spend the money and I'd pocket the $100. <laughs> that's what I'd do. Well, it's funny you talk... When you talk about money there too, you're, you're looking at it sort of, you know, 10 or 15 grand above the, the GSR mm-hmm. that we were talking about previously. Yeah. And this is more truck for your money. And you would spend that much doing um, suspension and wheel mods anyway. Yeah. yeah. The 32, they're actually smart. They've kept it to 32. It's not quite enough to have to go up to the next level of um, suspension and re-engineering, <laughs> um, but still incredibly capable. Um, size, if this I reckon this will be very popular. Yeah, I can I can see, it. and it comes down to we we're talking about um, a few of the other special models, like the Hilux and everything like that, um, a few weeks ago, and it's the same thing. What these models are bringing are they're, they're almost sort of taking the the revenue that the aftermarket companies would get. When after you bought yep. the vehicle and, you, and you're driving it over, you go, before I even take it anywhere, I need you to do this stuff. Um, yep. But what's but great, here it's already done and comes with a warranty. Yeah, and that's and that's the key difference is that you get the warranty, so you do get um, uh, what was it the five year unlimited kilometer full factory five warranty. Years. Yep. Um, you get the the servicing, so basically um, you're looked after, and I think that's really kind of. Particularly if this is your first foray into buying a vehicle like this, um, it's probably a really good straightforward way to do it because you also learn, I think, a little bit of what you want moving down the line if you want to go down the road of more customization in your next vehicle um, because this yep. sort of takes the guesswork out of working out exactly what you're saying. Oh, if I go too big in my tires, I have to get new suspension. Well, what suspension should I get? Oh, well, that means, you know, and it starts changing everything along the way. And something that also people don't understand or, or sometimes I should say forget is that when you start playing around with your tire sizes, it throws out your speedo and you need to work out that and, and keep that in mind. And what this should mean is that because this vehicle has been engineered this way, all of those little annoying things that, you know, there's little complications that yep. happen. All the stuff you don't when think you play of. Around with yep. Yeah. These are the things that, well, they should have thought about anyway. Um, we're assuming that they have. Um, and that's what happens when you have like a factory sort of built car. Um, you know, I think that's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a good move. It's a clever move. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, they'll, they'll sell it. Well, they won't sell yeah. a million, but <laughs> they'll, they'll do very well. Yeah. And, and we can, I can, I'm pretty sure we can look forward to, um, 
all the rest of the competitors moving in this sort of direction as well. Yeah. Once they see the popularity of this sort yeah. of stuff, um, it's just, it's the same when we're talking about um, where they're offering the cab chassis options now for the for the higher spec trucks because they're yes. seeing that people are putting modified yeah um, cabs on the back. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would be nice to see if some of these things maybe because we do have a large um, local manufacturing um, industry for four drive accessories that maybe some of them leveraged that for our local versions um that would be kind of like a nice to have thing where they're able to support the local businesses that are engineering and building a lot of these bespoke accessories themselves and then selling it into the market if you know someone like ford looked at that and said hey look we love what you're doing um you know let's work you know with building a model around that i think that would be a, a good clever move um particularly yep um you know with how things are at the moment Justin Le Mans um, has finished, mm-hmm. and Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley, well done, champion. Oh, yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Um, they've they lost first place, so congratulations to surprise, surprise, um, Toyota nailing it again. <laughs> <laughs> By a long shot, um, I'm not sure how many laps they finished with, but last time I checked, they were about 20 laps ahead of um, LMP2. So, wow, yeah, smashed it again. Well done. Yeah, and uh, Alpine should be joining next year. I think they they announced that they'll be joining the LMP1. Uh, so it's going to be a busy year for um, the Alpine guys with uh, Formula One and uh, LMP1. I think it's the first time in. I'm going to be wrong with this, but I think it was like 20 years or something where both a team, you know, a manufacturer was involved with both uh, endurance racing, like LMP1 yeah, class and uh, Formula One. So hopefully it brings some good competition to Toyota, who's sort of, uh, yeah, strutting around now, um, <laughs> now that everything sort of walked yeah, away. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll just touch quickly on this one because we kind of knew this was going to happen. Uh, the Bronco is officially not coming to Oz. Yeah, I'd still say yet because in in the quote they said, look, the Bronco is built for America and that's it. There is no current plan to do it. Um, it kind of fits with the rhetoric that we're already saying of they're only focusing on the American market because they've got enough demand to satisfy that, you know, what they're after for it. And so if anything... Yep. It will be down the line when they start to explore, can we use this platform elsewhere? And so I'm not really surprised, a little bit disappointed. You know, you secretly hope that, yeah, we'll get it. But I think um, if anything, we will see something like the Ford F-150 before we see the Bronco because, you know, as we're saying offline, um, the enthusiast four-wheel drive market is still a niche. It's not mainstream. Um in, yep. in, in, I think in the level of which would justify the Bronco. I know that, you know, we just finished saying that there's so many pickup trucks with, um, you know, a lot of uh, people going out and, and modifying it for off-road use and all that kind of thing. But, you know, you're talking about the Bronco kind of fits within the same as like the Defender, um, FJ Cruiser, those sorts of models, uh, even the Wrangler. Yeah, it's... So yeah, to justify the The reason those... Yeah, the reason those trucks are, are popular in Australia is because they do have a duality to them. They can yeah. do the, work the as well. Vehicle. And Broncos yeah. aren't, yeah, Broncos are not aimed at that sort of market. Like you said, they're aimed at FJ Cruiser type markets and things like that. And it's, 
they'd do okay, I think, if they bought them here, but I don't think they'd be a, a runaway success. No. Um, it's they're not really they're, they're not that powerful. Um, I'm sure they'll be quite capable off road, but it, it's, it, it's an American product built for Americans, and I'm I'm glad they got one because obviously everyone was was hanging out for it. They all went crazy as soon as it was released, but I I I think it's got quite a limited um, international appeal. That's just my yeah. my two cents. And I wouldn't be surprised, like you say, F one fifty much better idea. Converted, but yeah, F one fifty has that commercial um, application that uh, yeah yeah. That, and, and that basically full stop. <laughs> um, yep. Next one is uh, the Mini um, have released the their Nightfall and um, uh, what what was it? Uh, the Rosewood edition. Rosewood. So they're special, special editions for uh, 40 of them, sorry, of the three-door hatches and uh, 10 of the convertibles. So they're John Cooper works, a sleeked, blacked-out exterior treatment. Um, I'm just going to read it word for word from here. Uh, sleek, blacked-out exterior treatment signals ominous intent with specific edition. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> ominous intent. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's usually not a good thing, I don't think. Um, yeah, but uh, but look, it's got upgraded JCW parts and accessories, um, not only targeting the aesthetic look, but obviously performance. Um, but man, these are these are expensive little machines. So starting at seventy nine ninety and seventy five two ninety for the convertible. Um, Look, I think if you love uh, blacked-out cars with small little red accents, um, unfortunately, BMW or sort of Mini, they don't really make uh, much of a press fleet available um, at all, let alone up here in Brisbane. So we don't really get the chance to drive them that much, but I do have a friend who owns a, a Cooper S, and we have sort of played around with a JCW before. Great performance. Obviously, I've driven the M235i as well. But uh, seventy thousand starts to become a lot for a vehicle like this, and I think there's um, on the newer news market, there's probably a, a lot of um, a lot of options available to you um, if you're looking at that price point and you want a performance orientated car. This isn't a mini GP. If it was a mini GP, I'd go. That's that's the one to buy. Don't even think about it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a zero to one hundred and six point one seconds, which isn't you know it's slower than a GR Yaris. So you go, you can say that now. Um, <laughs> and for a lot, yeah, that's look, funny. It, <laughs> I, I do think though that Mini, uh, you know, we've said it before. They they know their market and they do yeah. have a particular niche. You know, people that buy Minis tend to just buy Minis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Although having said that. Um, my mother-in-law got one and went from a CX3, so that's quite a quite a change in vehicle type. And she really did only buy it because it was green and it had nice stripes on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my father-in-law bought it because it is a great car to drive. Yeah. Um, he really likes playing with it, and you know, I'm not going to say how hard he throws it around, but he, you know, he he likes to he, he likes to give his cars a little bit of stick. And well, these things, they just handle so like good. Like go-kart feel. Yeah, and, and it's true. That's that's how yep. they handle. They handle really, really well. Yep. When I when I actually drove theirs, I I didn't expect a lot, but when I drove it, I was instantly 
comfortable, amazed, and, and and confident. They're a really confident car to drive. It's just they're so easy and they feel fast, and that's that's a good thing. So mm-hmm. um, I can see why people start buying minis and then just keep buying minis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> you know, it, it is a lot of money. Seventy thousand dollars to sound a lot does sound like a lot, but I think the the segment of people that are buying these cars. There is potentially enough. I mean, you're only, you're only talking about 40, 40 editions of it. I reckon they'll sell them. I don't reckon yeah. they'll have any. I don't, so think, you, I don't think you, they'll have any sitting around. If you jump on the the website where they're allowing you to put a deposit down, you can um, uh, see where they're at. Let me see if I can get an update. Uh, last time I looked, they had sold two. Um, they'll, they'll be sold out. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, let's please tell me they're sold out. <laughs> uh, where are you? Where are you? Uh, 20 remaining. Ooh, there you go. They've sold half. There you go. What do you mean 20? So it's 40 all up, is it? That they're off? Uh, it's 50 all up, but this is just the three door hatch. Okay. Yep. Um, they also are doing a five door edition which they didn't really talk about in the press release funnily enough um but yes they are 20 i can't see anything about the convertible let me see if i can find uh that one but there you go so they've sold half in a few days Um, when did this press release come out the 17th so there you go that's uh it's pretty healthy not as fast as uh, a couple other special editions but um but that is just a deposit so it isn't the final sort of getting across the the finance hurdle or anything like that but yeah but again same thing you know like yeah when you're talking about that segment and uh you know you do tend to find if somebody has a mini they drive around with a lot of other minis. Mm. So there's there's a bit more allure to buying a special edition mini because you're hanging out with a whole bunch of other people who know exactly what special edition you've got when it turns up and they'll point at it. Like they'll know straight away because mm-hmm. many people love minis. So, yeah. All right. Um, I'll just quickly mention, so Mitsubishi, um, they're redesigning the new Eclipse Cross and um, they'll be introducing a plug-in hybrid version. So this is where we'll probably see the flow-through of the Outlander plug-in hybrid tech coming down, hopefully with a bit more of a usable range. But it's a great update um, and nothing to... um, Yeah, obviously, yeah, it's a a great um, step forward. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know, but oh, it just it annoys me when they give me silhouette PR shots. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's good, I guess. I mean, they they're trying to try and drag out a bit of um, anticipation and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but it doesn't help me. I want to no. see because I mean, look, the it's the funny thing about the Eclipse Cross. You know, they they brought it out with a whole lot of um, hype when it came out. Which yeah. kind of died off fairly quickly because it's it's a good car. It's not like um, an earth shattering segment crushing uh, offering or anything. It's quite a it, but it's a decent car. Yeah, um, I see. But it's been a while. It needs an update. See. Yeah, I, I yeah I tend to think the opposite because I thought there was going to be uh, I thought people would see it and find something emotionally as a connection with it because it's 
it's uh, I don't want to say a polarizing design because it's that's a bit cliched, but it's it's a different design. I'm, yeah. I thought people would see it and fall it's in love with it and just buy looking. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll have to just wait and see for that one, um, and and learn yep. more about their plug-in hybrid to see if they've made those advancements over the uh, the the Outlander um, version because we, you know we spoke about sort of what we'd like to see in a in a new generation of that, and um, hopefully we see that first in the uh, in the Eclipse. Yep. But uh, next up, just a little confirmation. So um, the new 2020 criteria for ANCAP, um, the first uh, first of those uh, tests under the new um, ratings, which is basically they ignore any sort of like the, the market segment or vehicle use. They just test the vehicle against criteria, which I think is fantastic. Um, the the Isuzu D-MAX scored well across all key areas. So it scored a five-star ANCAP safety rating as well as the new Latin, the new Toyota Yaris um, also scored the maximum five-star ANCAP safety rating. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's great. Um, and that also includes the fitting of the new center airbag. So... Um, it's kind of what we expected. Wouldn't have expected anything, um, anything extra. Um, but yeah, so that's a nice little update there. Well, it, it's good that um, you know a, a commercial vehicle, and the first commercial vehicle that's been tested under this regime has come out with um, such good results. It really talks yeah. to how how much of a step up the new DMAX has really come. So, mm-hmm. um, pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, just a quick little update on uh, Victorian uh, lockdown. Obviously, there's a few uh, things going on. Uh, still, numbers are getting improved, but lockdown still applies in a in a slightly different way as they, you know, slowly emerge out of what they're going through. Um, in the last uh, couple of months, but they are just confirming that uh, that yeah you can do more maintenance work at uh, at, at dealerships now. Um, so it's uh, um, yeah basically because a lot of people haven't really been going away. Um, the the time does still tick, and it is still actually really important that you do get your vehicle serviced, even if you haven't yep. been driving it, or even more so that you haven't been driving it because things like your tire, like there are certain things that need to be used frequently um, for them to still operate properly. Um, so they're now um, basically, you know, those new restrictions are allowing that automotive brands and the dealerships have, um, yeah, they can still operate to a, to a certain level to, to make sure those servicing uh, can happen. Uh, can happen so but jump on um the the relevant uh victorian website for the covid restrictions just so you can keep up on on those and just making sure that you obviously um are fitting in with uh the lockdown requirements of where you are and um obviously to a to keep you safe but also just uh, so you don't get a nice big uh fat fine for um i'm doing it <laughs> for breaching your yeah, rules i like the yeah. statement on the on the business.vic.gov.au uh, website that says routine vehicle maintenance is permitted where it is required to maintain the health and safety of Victorians at home or at work. Like what other type of maintenance is there? Yeah. <laughs> like 
it's not like going to get a haircut because you think your your bangs are getting a bit long. I mean, vehicle <laughs> maintenance is, is to make yeah. the vehicle safe and operate efficiently and effectively. So mm. all maintenance, unless you, I mean, mm. I guess they're trying to limit it against going to do engine swaps or whatever. But yeah, that, and that's what I probably think is like, oh, look, I'd, yeah, my my shockies need uh, swapping out, so I'm just going to do a lift here, and you know, it sort of ends up being a pseudo project. <laughs> Um, rather bagging than just my a, Calais because my yeah <laughs> yeah um, uh, yep. and you could possibly fight that as well because you know how do you determine you know they're not saying you have to switch it out for like for like it, you know it's not Formula One under red flag conditions where you switch <laughs> yeah, a bit out right. and it's got to be like for like uh, you're not going to have stewards running around so I don't know how they strictly no. enforce that unless you've gone in and said. I want to install a new body kit and, uh, yeah, and do that. So, but just look, come on, people, just act reasonably, um, you know, and and do your part so you can get out and drive and explore. Really? Yeah, just uh, just use it as an excuse to go and do your your six monthly service or whatever. It just gives you a yeah. chance to get out of the house, for goodness yep. sake. Because I I really feel for Victoria. They've they have they've had such a tough time. I, yeah, I mean it's it's easy for us to say you know like we sit here and we look at the the numbers and the counting and um, the restrictions that they've got, but you don't feel what everyone's feeling stuck at home Absolutely. down there. It would be yeah. driving you crazy. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed they, they gets a lot better very soon. I hope they, yeah. uh, hopefully they keep on, on track to start reducing those uh, restrictions. I think it's the end of this month, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 28th they're yeah. looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Uh, Forrester, Subaru Forrester. Um, Subaru have introduced a new variant. Uh, so it's the 2.5i Sport. Um, it should arrive in October. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's the 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 first addition to the to the lineup of the Forester models following the two hybrids they introduced earlier this year. Um, good news as well with this update is um, the Forester maximum towing for non-manual hybrid um, goes from fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred kilos, um, which is handy if you are if you want to whack on a camper on the back of this or something like that. Um, yeah. That's that's a handy thing, uh, but basically, yeah, the features for the 2.5 Sport all-wheel drive, um, add-in inch alloys um, with a dark metallic finish. So in the in the hero shot they've got, it's kind of cool. I like it a lot. Um, so it's a white car. It with does look cool, doesn't it? Yeah. On like a volcanic uh, kind of um, setting, looks cool. Uh, but yeah, LED front uh, fog lights. Black colored front grille surround and rear garnish, front side rear underguards with, with orange highlight, uh, roof rails with orange inserts, exterior sport badging, electric sunroof. Um, and then on the inside, they've got water repellent gray, gray cloth trim, orange highlights on the air vents and shift panel, orange interior stitching, piano black uh, surround for armrest, uh, chrome look edge for the power window switches. That's a, um, that's a really important one there. That's a, I'm glad they that attention to detail. <laughs> Um, of all, of all the things, um, someone goes, that needs to be chrome. Um, and then you've got yep. an internal rear gate lamp and cargo room lamp, which can't be um, overlooked, i got to say. It's really important. What was uh, it? Say that one again. Cargo room lamp and um, interior and internal rear gate lamp. So basically you can see inside right. the boot at night. 
they're actually being a wagon fan um when they have different lights in different places you really notice yeah. they do provide a lot of benefit mm-hmm. but um but look but let's yeah. not lose the fact the chrome look edge for the power window switches <laughs> that, that actually you probably might make it easier to find during the night you never know good with those extra leds you got um yep. but look they are after my own heart by adding in those orange highlights i love it <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is price forty one uh, nine ninety. That's the list price, um, and that's pretty uh, good. Yeah, it is. That absolutely. is pretty good. And I really enjoyed. I did drive the hybrid version, but I love the the Forester. It, it drove really, really well. Really comfy car. Um, yeah, uh, good things. Yeah, you know what? I um, I I was kind of yeah, I was disappointed with the last Forester when they came out. Oh, this, yep. this generation actually, um, because they did change the the profile of the vehicle quite a bit. They went from the um, very utilitarian um, kind of outbacky mm-hmm. type yeah. vehicle. They were a bit more rugged, and this time they've gone for a bit more of the family focus. Mm-hmm. Which you know, I, I think detracts from the from the character and the brand that they've had for quite a few years, and they worked on quite hard. And they had things like you know the Brumbies and. Um, then they had the WRXs. They changed the brand a little bit more, and they they were they were things that really stood out and had a really um, potent character about their particular products. And I, so I was a bit disappointed when the Forester came out, and it and it took away a lot of that stuff. But yeah. they do a really good job of what they're supposed to do. And I think I might have said this to you before. Um, one of the guys that I work with, he had one. Um, and then his lease was up and he came in the next day and he had the same one, but it was a different color. <laughs> so he's, he's, he went in to, to update his car and he goes, oh, so, you know, tell me what, what others, oh, actually, no, you know what? Don't tell me what else you got. I'll just have one of those, but can I have a green one? Yeah. <laughs> that was it because they just, you know, they're obviously doing a really good job with, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with hitting the mark. So, yeah, so well done, I guess. Yeah. Mm. As much right. as I wish they have a, they had a turbo all-wheel drive manual version or something. It's, <laughs> it's not there. No. All right. Yep. Uh, we had our first little um, sneak, official sneak peek at uh, what Hyundai will be doing with the updated i30N. Um, so, of course, we, we kind of knew this was coming. Updated design, um, new headlamps to make it look a little bit sleeker. It kind of, with you know, they didn't do the full silhouette, Mick, um, but we do actually have some... <laughs> Yeah. renders of it it's like they've lifted that silhouette layer um but it looks very much to me from the rear um kind of like the sirocco if you remember that from volkswagen it looks a little bit like that mm-hmm. um but yeah so look uh, just by lifting that tail a bit yeah what about um, the bumper profile oh yeah and this is the hatch we're looking at we're not looking at the fastback by the way they haven't really given us too much information on the fastback um but look this is still a little bit of a while away it's it's going to launch the in the first half of 2021 um the good thing is it will have the eight speed dual clutch transmission that we should have had a year ago or 18 months ago now um Meh. but also what i what I do like, and this is something that was kind of a little bit unexpected. Um, they are also introducing uh, newly developed 19-inch forged alloy wheels. So these are mm-hmm. usually quite 
pricey if you're going the aftermarket route yep. for proper forged alloys. Um, and the reason why why forged alloys are, are so attractive when it comes to that is from a performance point of view, they're lighter than a comparable alloy wheel. And um, what yep. that means is that you're removing unsprung weight, which means faster car, better handling. Um, and in this one, yep. it's, a, it's a massive 14 kilos of unsprung mass that they've been able to eliminate by going down the forged route, um, yep. which is significant. It's a, a significant way to go through a, a weight-saving um, activity without having to work you know, too hard. You know hard what really bugs me? What's that? The fact that they've done this, they've made the the wheels a bit lighter, and they're going to have a direct uh, dual clutch transmission, and they're going to be faster on the track. Yeah, <laughs> it's just going to happen. <laughs> so yeah. the, the one that I like the most, the manual, is 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 going to be slower, but um, yeah, yeah they want to go how faster. Fat I guess so they, these rear tires even look. I love. It just looks so aggressive. And this is, and they're going like a real, um, like a, it's like a, a, a matte blue color that they're using. It's not, they're not using their light blue yeah. for these teaser images. And so it looks really a little bit menacing, I would say, in the way they've got it right Yeah, now. well, actually, they did have that um, matte blue on the Veloster a few years ago. Yeah. And that looked really good. And that did actually look, this, look really it good. It does look a lot like the Veloster from some of these angles. Um, yeah, but yeah, I like it. Expect it. Um, we'll have more updates, but basically, yep. yeah, i30. I dig it. And they're going, we're still having, um, you know, it's still ready to tackle the road and the track. Obviously, they're going to continue. I expect their warranty coverage, which also includes um, uh, track usage, which is extremely rare for any even high end exotic cars. Um, so, yeah, they're still really backing um, their engineering prowess. Yep. But this is a fun one. Um, so Nissan Patrol, uh, apparently they could be cooking up their own little Bronco rival going retro themselves. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it basically it's looking like the old school patrols. Um, and is this, is this Nissan sort of going through a – a bit of a crazy time because they've they've, they've shown off the, the Z Proto, which is the the 400 Z, and that is very much got a, a a retro mod kind of feel to it. This has got a metro a retro mod based off the the rendering that Practical Motoring have done. Um, yeah, what's got an into Nissan to, to to go look? Where we've got work underway on a new patrol, and it could be styled as a retro throwback. What is this? Are they just copying, or do you think they're taking a bit of their own initiative, like you know, say from the 400Z, etc.? Well, I, it it's just seems to be that the retro theme has come back again. You know, it yeah. sort of comes back every sort of twenty years yeah. or so. Um, but it, you know, I, I don't want to criticise them for doing it because, well, the render looks awesome mm. for a start. Good job, whoever um, did that. I did like that. Yeah, yeah, nice work. Um, I think just because they used big, big uh, grey steelies on it, it immediately made it look retro. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, if you took those wheels off, that could be a Bronco, really, couldn't it? It could. Yep. And let's but, not forget the patrol, that generation patrol, which they're talking about, did actually share. Um, they did do a model, like a badge engineering model with, uh, um, with Ford, didn't they? 
Oh, the next gen, yeah. The next yeah. gen they did. They did the Ford Maverick, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And you can see that there's a thousand of those on the road at the moment, which I guess is tent- mm-hmm. testament to their to their durability. Um, but hopefully the the retro um, theme doesn't just go back to design, but also um, attitude and um, and character of the vehicle. Because obviously, I mean, you've driven the new Patrol. It's a um, it's a big V8 Thunderbus. It's, I mean, it's supposed to be still good off road, but I still think they're missing a bit with the um, utilitarian appeal of, I think I've said utilitarian about five times this episode. Um, <laughs> but the, but I, I think there is a, a space there for those, um, the patrols and what they used to do. I think there'll be a market for those type of vehicles again, because again, when we go back to talking about um, performance envelopes for modern cars, you th- Sports cars, you're kind of there already, mm. um, and a lot of people are turning to the dirt and um, you know hitting the hitting the trails. And obviously, that's going to be a um, a pretty significant um, and more popular pastime in the uh, in the coming years. Mm. Uh, when we're talking about still not opening up international travel and that sort of stuff, people are going to yeah. have to spend their yeah. money doing something. Mm-hmm. And and this is exactly the right right type of. Um, right type of pastime to to be having presence in so yeah absolutely um, but i guess this what, what are they saying this model is probably going to be a couple of years away anyway isn't it yeah that's the it, it's yeah. not going to be a next year kind of thing um i think uh this is a nissan oh we need to explore this and and see what we can come up with and um yep go from there i think that's if anything we'll probably we might even see a concept model of it and then they'll gauge you know, sort of demand based on that, but it could yep. very, very much fill a, a hole that is left by um, for not bringing that model here to um, Australia. Oh yeah, no Bronco. Um, yep. You know, because Nissan being Japanese maker, they will make a right-hand drive version pretty much for sure. I think, um, unless they go down like the the Titan route, which is sort of their big large pickup truck where they build that in America. But I remain yep. hopeful um, that they, if they do, so do it, what did you, um, what did you think about the Z? I think I thought it was quite a good design. Yes, I, I, like it. I think it's very yeah. clever, based off. So um, at the end of the day, it basically is a rebodied 370Z, which from a, yep. a, a cost saving point of view, I think it's extremely clever because the 370Z is an excellent base to build off. Um, yep. it gives me hope already that, exceptionally rigid exactly um, yep. so that it's they don't really have to do much to that they can throw more power in add a couple of mod bits in um, and yeah I, I think they could be on to a pretty solid entry if they maintain a similar price point as the 370 or even get a little bit sharper on the pricing because they've been able to get the life out of that platform and so the scale you know economies of scale says that it should get cheaper over time and so that should be an advantage moving forwards um yeah but i i like it i like the styling i think in person it will it might not look as concept carry like if you know what i mean i think you know it's one of those ones where in the color on the screen it looks one way but when you get it in in person it's going to just 
really look settled and fit in yep. perfectly. Sit that next to a Supra and I think it will just, it will be, it won't feel like it's a, oh, they tried. It will be a, wow, that's that's pretty cool. That's, yep. how great is this? Well, really, to, to me, like I found <clears throat> with the 370Z when you see it and even the, oh, the 350 before it, it's um, the most difficult parts to get your eyes around were the tail lights and the headlights. Yeah. And really what they've done with this one is they've just knocked the edges off and gone mm-hmm. back to the to the basic body style, the clean body style. And it it just looks it looks perfect. I don't, I don't know. They they haven't there's nothing that looks out of place. Nothing looks controversial. It just looks sharp, neat and fast. And that's but it also you know, comes exactly back and pays homage to the other, you know, the earlier Datsuns. Um and you can yep. see I, I can imagine a big fat wing coming out of the back. Um, you know, just like <laughs> those ones that wrap around, you know, going for a yep. real um I don't want to say it, but like boy racer kind of style. I think that would fit in really, really well as well from an aftermarket point of view. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. Um, Pricing-wise, yep. I think that'll be the big question because I think performance, they'll be able to get it. They've got, you know, they'll be able to do some cool stuff with uh, the GTR and, you know, turbocharging a V6, that kind of thing. Um, so they know how to do that. They know how to squeeze some performance out of a out of an engine and do it yep. well. Um so I'm not concerned about that. I know that, you know, the 370Z engine is brilliant. You get to really rev it out. It's a rare thing these days. Um, yep. And But they also know how to build a fantastic, you know, performance turbocharged engine. So I'm hopeful. Um, or even, you know, it's cool. it. let's go, let's do it an electric version. Why not? Um, you know, they've got the Leaf technology, just whack more batteries, bigger motors, and <laughs> go from there. Yep, we, yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so, let's uh, let's smash through some of these. So, uh, Volkswagen um, coming out with a press release saying, "Look, they've um, they've done well. They've uh, taken four hundred or <laughs> let's let's look at it from the dealer's point of view. Uh, Volkswagen have stolen four hundred and thirty three vehicles of sales away from dealers <laughs> um, from dealers. <laughs> yeah, to the value of twenty six million dollars. Uh, from Volkswagen's point of view, they've sold four hundred and thirty three vehicles and have offered that opportunity." Opportunity to dealers um, to deliver those 433 vehicles to customers. Um, either way, I think it's a sign of moving forwards. And I said that all as a joke, but basically, um, yeah, it it is a kind of what a lot of dealers is even themselves have been trying to get towards of being able to sell a vehicle online because you can basically buy everything else online. So why can't, why couldn't you buy a car online? Um, the advantage of buying from a manufacturer or dealer point of view, selling a car online is that you take away the negotiation aspect. That's the price you pay for it. There's no back and forth. There's no scringing or um, squeezing profit margins elsewhere. It is just, 2020 car in purple, you know, that's the price you pay it if you think it's good enough value and go from there. Um, what they've also yep. done is is being able to sell 340 or 349 <clears throat> online customers have been able to purchase a Volkswagen care plan, um, which is basically the the service servicing package. Service pack, um, yep. And uh, look, you know, that kind of makes sense. You shouldn't have to go to a dealer to do that. I think like even I know car manufacturers selling that you could just call them up and and 
they'll sell it to you. So adding online is just a no-brainer. Um, you know, I'm not really surprised um, by that. Do you, do you think the um, <clears throat> the lilies being gilded a bit by the fact that we are in um, COVID restrictions at the moment, which has pushed people online anyway? Is it just a? I mean, this is since January. Four hundred thirty three is not. It's, it's not, not massive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like a lot because they're adding twenty six million. Like they're saying how much that's worth at twenty six million dollars. Um, yep. So it makes it sound bigger than it really are you doing the maths yes i am right now (laughs) Um, (laughs) yes the average price is sixty thousand. each customer right but that's interesting because they're talking about here uh, since making the now in showrooms T-Rock available for online pre-purchase in January, Volkswagen customers have configured and proceeded to buy 430 vehicles, RK of all types. Mm. So that's odd why they're... Okay, so T-Rock must have been the first one, was it, that was available I think so, yeah. Only. So, so, the, so my... I wonder, because that is a fairly high average price um, when you consider um, the mixture of vehicles Volkswagen. that Volkswagen do have. And yep. that makes me ask the question, and, and that only they will know the answer really, um, is going, okay, are people buying slightly more expensive variants and they're less sensitive to price um, differences, you know, what you'd try and hopefully save in the negotiation um, versus someone if you're, if you're buying a $30,000 car, where you're going to do you negotiate harder because that $30,000 might mean more to you. I, I, it, it'd be an interesting um, thing to sort of learn as to, well, what types of vehicles, what types of customers are choosing to buy online versus the ones opting not. Um, because like you said, yeah, 433 vehicles for Volkswagen isn't really a lot. No, and I mean, they've only sold, uh, what, 22 T-Rocks year to date. <laughs> so it's not the T-Rocks. No. And 19 of those was this month. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess it is good, though, that Volkswagen have got this all set up and ready to work. Um, yes. It's, I mean, I remember last week we said I, I did set myself a date to go onto the Ford website and uh, try and do a virtual test drive of the Puma. Ah, uh, yes. And that was just advance warning. You can't actually do it yet, uh. but you will be able to. Okay. Well, you couldn't when I, I tried to do it on Monday. So yeah. um, maybe it was just my my skills. Um, actually, they've already sold two of them. I don't know how they did that. Congratulations. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's obviously the the need to be able to purchase things online is going to continue to become more important again over mm-hmm. the next sort of six to six to twelve and eighteen months, perhaps. Um, so it's good to see Volkswagen have got a got a bit of a head start on it mm. so um in terms of yeah. numbers so so far this year in 2020 volkswagen have sold 26,000 cars 433 vehicles is just 1.6 percent yep which has been sold so maybe they're celebrating a little bit too early um i probably would have come out and said five percent ten percent that would be a celebratory number point to say 
sales are picking up. Um, yeah, but still, I guess it's probably important to be able to talk about it now too, to let people be aware that you can actually do that. That you can actually buy stuff not, online. That you're not on, yeah, you're not on your own if you're considering buying it online. Um, yep. Yeah, maybe look if if you're listening and you and you and you bought a vehicle online or can thinking about it, let us know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what your thoughts are, and we'll reach out across social media as well to see what people are thinking. Because, um, yeah. Do people still want to negotiate on a price? Do people still feel like they should be negotiating on price? Um, and and buying online takes that away from you. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to know. Well, one thing you do miss out on when you're... Um when you're buying stuff online is you don't be a, you don't get the dealer to sit there and write down the retail price and then re- write down the price that you're just going to sell <laughs> it to it you out, for yeah, yeah. and then cross it out and say, you're saving this much money, which I just love. Yeah. Or even it doesn't be able bother to go, me oh, well, your trade-in is 5000 so we'll take that off. And so really you're only paying, you know, Thirty thousand when the car is forty five, but you're going. But I'm giving you a car. <laughs> it's not a discount. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, but they make it feel like yep. it's a discount. Um, oh, yeah. We'll have to have a segment they, they on that one day. Yeah. Sales sales tactics that drive you crazy because that's one of them. Like, as soon as they write down the second number, I'm just like, stop, stop. Don't do yeah. that. Don't finish that sentence. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> You're it's not selling a lifetime CD set. Um, yep. You know, are you trying to tell me that the shipping and handling is a good deal? Um, yep. But yeah. <laughs> Look, I that's... I'm not buying this Arteon. You can forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I can't remember if we spoke about this, um, but we definitely did show it off. Um, the Hyundai Tucson. Um, it is the best selling it. model for Hyundai worldwide. Um, and it's a, I think it's a solid update, isn't it, for um, for the car? It's certainly a new, um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Nissan Murano um, when they were introduced. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. A little With bit, you know, yeah. My screen, yeah, that's the picture. <laughs> Just um, you know, with, with yeah, 2020 really styling, but, um... but... Yeah, look, I was... It's funny, when I first looked at it, um, I liked it more. Now I look at it, it's. I guess I'm maybe getting a bit more used to it. It's very... Um, I don't know. These taillights are starting to kind of bug me a bit now. What do you think? I, I reckon seeing it in real life is going to make a big difference. Yeah, because these are the sorts of cars you need. To, you need to be like looking at something like this and walking around it and seeing the light hitting it, rather yeah. than just looking at the the CGI images of them. I reckon it could look quite good. Okay, I just, but I don't. Um, I don't see the Murano, but um, yeah. I just sent through an image uh, for you to have a look at of a of a two thousand six Nissan Murano. And I'm going to copy in. <laughs> Is it the same color? <laughs> nah, it's slightly different color. Um, actually, I will use the same color. There you go. I'll, I'll... Where'd you send it? Through which way? Uh, I posted it in our show notes channel on uh, on Slack for right. you. But disregard that second image. Let me. Oh, it does too, but no, that's the Tucson. Hang on. <laughs> oh yeah. Hang on. Hang on. 
if you're listening at it, home, just uh, just look for a. Ah, uh, yeah, here we go. Just look for a 2006 uh, <laughs> Nissan Murano. It was funny when these came out too. I thought, oh, this is a stupid idea. SUVs are still yeah. to take off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, but every time I've talked to a Murano owner, they've always loved them too. Yes, they, they were quite popular. Car. We just never got the follow-up yep. generations. So they've remained in the US, but we just never got the follow-up generations. Um, yeah. I believe, I reckon the X-Trail and the Pathfinder really didn't really leave much space, um, particularly when they brought in the Dualis and those things around the same time. Yep. Um, but yeah, but whilst you uh, have a look at those images, I'm going to I'll run through the different um, uh, different features that they're going to have in this new one. So it's available both in short and long wheelbases, but we will only get the long wheelbase here in Australia, which I find is interesting. Um, and the new Tucson was going to have, um, so they're gonna have digital experiences. So obviously that's going to be your infotainment systems and your displays, but um, but you're going to have, just like the the Kona, you're going to have um, a number of different options for your powertrain. So you're gonna have your, your typical internal combustion, your hybrid and your plug-in hybrid. Um, so actually it's more like the Ionic, sorry, because you have that plug-in hybrid. And um, yeah, I think that is probably the biggest new thing in here. It reaffirms Hyundai's movement towards that. And we'll start to see probably more momentum going into those electric and hybrid hybrid versions. Um, yeah, I think we'll probably see more though. The, the hybrid, just the, the standard hybrid. Um, I think I have a feeling if the Toyota RAV4 is anything to go for, uh, go by in terms of hybrid sales. I think, yeah, the, the hybrid will be the, the seller here. Yeah, look, I, I, um, I know they're under consideration but not confirmed yet, which is which is mm. a shame. Um, I would really like to see them here. I'd like to see how the – I still haven't driven the 1.6 turbo petrol um, in the Tucson. Yeah, but the two-liter diesel is um, is a pretty handy piece of gear, and that I think true. it was my choice too. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice engine. So, mm. but Murano it's... and uh, Tucson, same car. What do you reckon? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely saying no on that one. Oh, I don't know. That's what I think. You've even got your oh, actually, the short wheelbase. Um, is that a window line different? Oh, no, I see it does kick up. Yeah, the window line is almost up, exactly the same. The water line, it just disappears a little bit behind uh, in, the, in that front door. Um, that grill design in the Murano and on the Tucson is very similar. It just doesn't extend as far down in the Murano. Um, the lighting, how it pinches oh, up so if you, towards the back. So if you change the way the grill looks at the front, it will look more like the Murano. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, if you just shorten that so, front grill, so it doesn't bit. look the same. So it looks different. <laughs> okay, we're gonna move on. You just walked straight into Whatever. that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first half of twenty twenty one model lineup and pricing closer to launch. Um, we'll no doubt. Yep. I did notice that. too that the engines they so they're still offering the the two liter petrol one point six turbo and the two liter turbo diesel, but they're new generation engines based yeah. on the ones that we've got. Mm-hmm. So it'll still be a new engine. It'll just be um, the same size. Yeah. 
which would be good because I like to see an advancement on the on the two liter. I remember we were talking about the other week where it didn't have enough boost because it was not a turbo. Yeah, but still, <laughs> the the two liter does get off the line pretty well for a non-turbo engine. I was quite surprised, so mm. I'm looking mm. forward to that. Yeah. Well. Um... F-Pace uh, had a slight oh, new update, a uh, bit more uh, luxurious, connected, and electrified, as they say. Um, and this is what we're seeing a lot more, and we're mentioning a lot more as we introduce particularly the European models coming through. So what they call like an MHEV, so it's a mild hybrid electric vehicle. So it's not necessarily a... Um, you know, like a drive-through, not using any power um, or sort of any combustion engine to cruise through, but it's more of a thing to deliver more performance um, via electrification. So like what they're saying, refined power and exceptional performance. So it's sort of acting as a fill for where the, you know, the normal combustion engine sort of, you know, lack, um, which means ultimately more, yeah, just more power. So you've got a, a, a new 400 PS model, which is an inline six-cylinder, three-liter petrol. Um, yes, please. Yep. Just 294 kilowatts of power. Um, or if that's uh, if you're wanting to go diesel with your, your mild hybrid electric um, powertrain, it's a six-cylinder, 221 kilowatt, uh, 300 PS diesel. So pretty That'd healthy be quite in interesting, the I think, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But, I mean, this these are such a good-looking SUV, though, aren't they? Yeah. There were a few what things I didn't like about the F-Pace um the well what is now the outgoing generation um but from a, a look point of view i've never seen i've never had the uh, jaguar just have this brand reputation which is instant like uh, you know, like that whole Jeremy Clarkson, like I drive a Jag um, and, and people just like instantly attracted to it. Um, because yeah. every time like I, like when somebody would say, oh, what are you driving this week? And I say, oh, it's a Jaguar F-Pace. And like, oh my God, it's a Jaguar. And these are young people too as well. Like it isn't, um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm talking to the, the retirees at the coffee shop or anything. It's like it, they've got massive brand appeal. Um, it's not necessarily translating yeah. into the sales figures the same way as maybe like BMW or Mercedes, even though they're very much in that mix. Um, but the brand attractive, you know, how attractive it is to, to the audience, they love it. And with this, you yeah. know, the R Dynamic P250, um, is available from seventy four nine ninety, so it's even a healthy price as well for what they that's what they crazy. are. That's like crazy, but I mean, that is that is pretty good for such a good looking vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like I say, it is a Jag. Yeah, um, seventy five seems pretty accessible. I don't know. It does. It's well, you know, we're talking about a seventy thousand dollar Mini Cooper. Um, you know, but, so <laughs> you go, well, true. this is pretty good value. Um, but yeah, but it has got red looking, calipers. I'm not sure. No, nah, yes. <laughs> um, but look, they they just do a good job in terms of the uh, the interior design is nice. It is just, um, you know, it, it it's exactly what Jaguar is. It's sophisticated. Um, the the exterior design just is beautiful. Um, yeah, and with these new engines, the performance is definitely there. It's definitely not lacking. Um, there's nothing to to complain about 
uh, from there. Um, but yeah, look, even you know, so right across their their range, so the pricing range they've got at the bottom of the here. Um, so the R Dynamic S P two fifty is, which is what we said, is starts at seventy five, seventy four, seventy five thousand um, dollars. To go up to that that D three hundred diesel engine, it's ninety four nine forty, um, or the the petrol P four hundred ninety seven thousand four hundred, or if you want to go the HSE, which is sort of like your top spec, um, is uh, one hundred nine. Now compare that to something like the the X three or even um, X five, if you really wanted to slightly larger car, but oh gee, talk about pretty competitive on price um, when even, you know, looking at the, you know, I guess you could say the big boys in that, in that SUV market for the luxury stage. Yeah. And it's, nobody is going to swivel their head at another X5. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But a Jag, they'll see it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's uh... And even you know, it's it's just got its own level of appeal. And um, yeah, I don't think people realise the the price point of which they sit in um, these days. If yep. if people, well, everybody listening now knows, um, they're actually not bad value. <laughs> um, which I don't know. I don't. I don't even know if people who want to buy those sorts of cars want to brag about if it's good value or not. But yeah, well, I think they're, they're cutting cents, their coupons. Age of COVID. Let's you know, let's cut to the chase here. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but let's quickly touch on, and then we'll we'll call our international news a fast round because um, we've already uh, had uh, everybody here sitting for a while. But I do want to touch on um, our bring a trailer. Did you did you find anything this week uh, that that caught out to you? No. I did not actually look at Bring a Trailer today, so you tell me what you've got. Okay. I went all out. I've sort of been everywhere the last few weeks, but um, I'm a big fan of Orange, so it's kind of an easy decision from that point. Um, You're a big fan of what? Orange. Orange, yeah. Um, So it's a 2008 car. So it's not it's not a spring chicken in terms of age, twelve years old, uh, but it's a Lamborghini Gallardo Superleggera, but it's twin turboed. Um, and if anybody knows what a twin turbo uh, Lamborghini means, it knows that you're making a lot of power. Um, some are getting up to well over a thousand horsepower, um, even some up to fifteen hundred horsepower. Um, yeah, so particularly with this one, it is a twin turbocharged uh, underground racing, which are the ones which are you know, in this generation really um, push the boundaries of what's uh, <laughs> what is possible um, into it. It looks clean, well documented um, at the moment. No bids on it, but it seems to have just started. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Well, you know, I heard um, from an owner that you can't fit a carton of beer in a Gallardo. You have to split it in half. So I'm going to have to say no on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Incredibly impractical. (laughs) It actually didn't take me long. I just looked quickly, and the current bid for the car that I want is $251,000, and it's still got 13 days left. Oh, gee. What's that? 1935 Auburn 851 SC Boat Tail Speedster. (laughs) 
<laughs> Man, it looks awesome. It's, this was actually, so my, when I first started collecting diecast cars, this was my first models of yesteryear yeah. diecast car. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was my second. My first was a Studs Bearcat. But I was like the Bowtail Speedster. They just look awesome. They got the big side pipes coming out the side. Yeah. Uh, the real 30s, like hot rod looking type cars. So it was that. Real funny though, don't they? They look small. Oh yeah, the size of the car. They look kind of, they look kind of truckish too. Yeah. Well, actually, these these cars are actually massive. Mm, They're not like monstrous. the little uh, Italian things. They yeah. Um, are yeah, absolutely monstrous, big truck size, basically. Um, it, it was looks that like it's out of Greece. Or... Uh, the movie. <laughs> no, Greece lightning. <laughs> Much classier than Greece. Come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> But the other, um, and I only picked this one because it's got tri-spoke mags on it, uh, 1991 Mercedes-Benz 500E Brabus 6-litre. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, it just, yeah, maybe they've lowered it a little bit too much, but who cares? And a large 6-litre V8, other Brabus modifications, including lowered suspension. Okay, it's Brabus suspension, so I'm happy for it to be lowered by them. Uh, performance exhaust. Alcon front brake calipers. I don't know what color they are though. Can you see? Eight and inch spoke wheel, three spoke no, wheels. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now those awesome wheels are getting in the way. Yeah. Oh, body color bumpers. That's important. Uh, Recaro design leather does it have front chrome seats. around the window switches. Oh, it must have. No, it'd be blacked out. <laughs> and it's probably shadow chrome. Oh, look, it's not worth it. <laughs> but like even these, like the 90s um, E-Class Mercs, the interiors, this one's like black with um, mm-hmm. um, wood trim dash. Yeah. They just look very 90s. I don't, I don't know. There's something about them that just always grabs my attention. They just look awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I'd certainly take this one. It's got a 6K red line for a um, six litre V8. That's got to be fun. And if anybody's interested, uh, for $33,000 so far, two days to go, there's a 4,500 mile 1981 DeLorean. Uh, so if you're wanting to go back in time or future in time to escape 2020, uh, maybe that's the car for you. <laughs> Did you say it's, got, it's done 4,000 kilometers or miles? Miles, yeah. I bet you that's not because they've been trying to stop it from racking up miles. <laughs> it's just hasn't been able to drive further than that. Well, if you look at the comments, it's uh, there's a lot of scrutiny around the cooling tubes uh, as to <laughs> what is happening uh, with that. So, yeah. But still, $33,000 is pretty uh, pretty good money for those. Um, yeah, it's a pretty dollars. expensive speed bump. Yeah. Or garden. It's oh, look, don't garden don't ornaments. I'm not sure what you're calling. No. <laughs> Sorry. Get enough angry letters. <laughs> um, but look, so, okay, international news. We um, we, we spoke about the, the, the new Z prototype. Um, I yep, will mention... Next week, we'll talk about it. Volkswagen um, will release their ID4. Um, so we can talk about that. Um Next week, Ferrari uh, did a little reveal of their um, Portofino M, uh, which is their gorgeous-looking uh, convertible. Um, what do you think? It looks looks gorgeous. Oh, look! It, of course, it does. It's uh, it's 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 good actually because uh, Ferrari did have that. Um, 
well, quite an extended period of time where things looked racier rather than um, they didn't. They didn't seem to lose a bit of elegance. They just went for the flat out um, racing pedigree type look. And I mm-hmm. do like when they put a bit of elegance and a bit of, um, you know, felt um, surface. Well, I don't want to wear surface tensioning Ferrari stuff, a, but they just yeah. Ferrari have got a great history of building great road cars. And um, people, you know, only yeah. tend to remember Formula One. But, you know, there's a wonderful set of, like, even some of the Daytona cars, you know, great touring vehicles um, that just, uh, yeah, support the racing business. But, yeah, <laughs> do, do what they do very well as well. Mm, but this looks great and it's yeah. it's not red, which is good. It's got the red interior, though. <laughs> <laughs> so. I know. I know. But this is a beautiful looking car. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> fantastic. So it's uh, if you're in the if you're in the market, um, tell Ferrari that uh, we sent you, and um, would love to do a review when it lands down here. <laughs> um, but look, so Ford they they acknowledged um, sort of the 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 leaks that happened. I think it was last week or the week before the Bronco Raptor. That's uh, that's been teased, um, or what's sort of been discussed lately, and um, basically on the auto blog um, thing, they've got a they've got an image of a heavily camoed but very happy looking Bronco, just because of how they've done the camo. It looks like a beaming, smiling face, um, and the, and the, and uh, auto blogger said, "Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it a Ford Bronco Raptor?" Is it going to be called the Warthog? In in order, the answers are no, no, maybe, and maybe. Um, but what's great about this photo is that Ford have uh, shared this, and they said testing, testing. Is this is is this thing on? Hashtag Ford Bronco, and um, yeah, <laughs> it looks great. But it looks like you know they give us a tease that there's quite a lot of happening in that suspension and uh, drivetrain area. Yes. It looks like it's having a lot of fun and it's working hard. There's yeah. a, you can see a lot of hardware in there, actually, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's wonderfully lit. Um, a lot of reflections. I know, are that's, you can see a lot of what's going on. Work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it looks like it's going to be one hell of a car. Testing photos, professional driver on closed course, always consult owners manual before driving. This, shirt, this has been photoshopped. Oh, yeah? Okay. Use appropriate Photoshop, it says at the bottom. No, it's... <laughs> but they are doing this on full send. Well, yeah. Well, potentially. It is a closed course, I guess. It could be a closed studio um, based on the lighting from underneath. But yeah. it's <clears throat> it had to happen, as like I was saying before, because they just wanted to prove me wrong when I said the Bronco didn't have enough power. <laughs> mm. Make a powerful one. Yeah. But, I mean, it's America, of course. We're going to make a more powerful one yeah. in, in time. So I just, it could I, be a three-liter EcoBoost V6, um, which the yep. Ford Explorer over in the states, which we don't get here, ST, um, which would have yeah, have about 400 horsepower, um, depending on how Ford plans how to tune it. So, yeah, that, that could work. <laughs> Did you see Michael Levine's um, response to that post? No, I didn't. What What did he say? So he's got um, Frank Drebin standing at the front of a fireworks thing saying, nothing to see here, nothing oh. to see. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yep. All right. Uh, what else? Yeah. That's gonna, 
Oh, um, electric F1. Yeah. Um, I guess that really not a surprise. Ford is, you know, just like every other auto company, particularly, you know, like what GM have been doing, they're going down the um, the the route of electrification. And so, you know, they're building a huge um, production facility and um, for, the, for the start of the production of the uh, all-new F-150, but also um, the electric F-150 plant. So yeah, it's a uh, it's gonna be interesting. I wonder what sort of range they're expecting out of that because um you know Americans love to love to drive a lot and um wouldn't this be an interesting play by Ford if uh we, we you know we've spoken about how electric vehicles uh translate a lot easier to left and right hand drive conversion if um if if they yeah. made a play for the uh for so the right hand drive market together. by going electric. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah. Ford, I'll, I'll help this Ford Australia. One. I, I'll I'll build a business case that will get Ford America to to sell F one fifties here. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'll make it happen. I know how to make it work. I like some of these stats here that they're talking about. So, uh, up to fourteen American jobs are supported by each direct Ford F series employee. This equates to five to half a million total jobs attributed attributable to Ford's F series alone. Overall, Ford supports one million American jobs. Uh, of the more than two million full-size pickup trucks assembled in the U.S. last year, Ford assembled nearly half, twice as many as other any other auto manuf- uh, automaker. The best-selling F-Series contributed to nearly $50 billion to the U.S. GDP, which is crazy. And there's the F-Series franchise alone. (laughs) This this is the best bit. I love this. Generates more revenue than major companies such as McDonald's, Nike, Coke, Visa, and Netflix. That's insane for just the F-Series. So one part of the Ford business is bigger than all those companies. That's Don't you think this is a wonderful... A, a very clever way of Ford to sort of fire back at, you know, the Tesla valuations, how they're saying, oh, it's bigger than the top five automakers in the world combined, their market cap. Oh, yeah. Well, Ford's yeah. turning around and saying, hang on, <laughs> market cap isn't just the one thing. We're talking about one vehicle, one vehicle where we've built a million of them last year, right? A million yeah. of them. Um we contributed nearly $50 billion back into the US GDP and we're bigger in terms of revenue than yep. all of these brands that you associate with um, with size, and- success, all that kind of thing, like Nike, yep. right, um, and Visa and even a tech company like Netflix. So I think it's a, a very clever, smart way to also reaffirm to shareholders, because don't forget this is a publicly traded company, to go, yep. ah, don't get caught up on the market cap because here are the tangible benefits that and value that we create, not only for you as a shareholder, but for the rest of the American economy. Um, and, and really making a case of going why, you know, why this is important. 
And um, yeah. I think that's oh, crazy numbers, crazy numbers. But when you read between, I, I don't know, I could be completely wrong, but I sort of see this ago, reading between the lines of what they're actually saying and what they're sort of pointing out in that way. And you go, that's, that's brilliant. It's a really good way to show the value of which they're creating. Yep. Yep. Especially those, yeah, like you say, those brands they're talking about. And I always remember um, learning about Coca-Cola when they got so popular that instead of trying to figure out how many litres or gallons they sold per year, they started measuring their success in the percentage of total liquid intake per person in the country. (laughs) (laughs) How massive they got. And the F-Series is bigger than that company in regards to revenue. So that's... um, that's not insubstantial. That's, yeah. that's quite large. Yep. That's, yeah. Um, imagine, you know, and I guess this is the the argument that some of the car makers tried to make um, before, you know, they ended up closing up shop here from manufacturing um, is, is trying to say, well, look at what we contribute. Um, this is why we're valuable. But I guess it's just not the same scale. It really, really puts into perspective, you know, we, I think what we said, we're, we'll barely be on track to scrape a million cars sold here in total. Um, oh, yeah, I reckon we'll be like 800 this year maybe. Yeah. And and look at Ford in America, one car of theirs selling, you know, or producing uh, more than that of our entire market yep. combined. Yep. Yeah. Um, cool. Still want one. Make it happen. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But look, this is probably the coolest thing I've seen all week. Um, And you really have to see the video for this, but it's the GMC Hummer EV. It's going to be revealed on October 20, but they're slowly turning the tap on the teasers. And it's a 27-second video, and it's the last, like, three or four seconds that really really matter. And it's showing showing off the, the crab mode feature. And basically, it's the four-wheel steering capability allowing it to move in a diagonal, diagonal direction. Um, and, and they're saying, you know, it's functionality that is tailor-made for off-roading customers. Um, yeah. Now, I've never seen this before. It's one way to, you know, we, we see Porsche and other performance car brands and even truck companies using four-wheel steering to be able to make a car go around a corner in a tighter radius. But never have I yep. seen a company sort of using an electric drivetrain and the flexibility that offers um, to, to turn all four <laughs> wheels in the same direction and essentially yeah, go travel from one side to the other. Incredible. Yeah, I know. It's like we were saying before, you know, um, it's great to see a company leveraging off the flexibility that you can get out of an electric powertrain rather than something where you've had to have the um, the direct drive shafts um, impeding your ability to do something like this. I yeah. mean, it's not really, but you don't have to worry about sticking additional ball joints and stuff on. Mm-hmm. But again, I'd like to see how they've, <clears throat> how they've actually achieved it. I want to see how these... Um, how the wheels are actually connected and how they've actually got them to to perform this action because it'll be, yeah, it'll be. So imagine um, how much easier it would make parking even. Like forget the off-road capability, but rather than trying yeah. to do an awkward parallel park, you just go, just whack it in there, please. <laughs> and just drive in. <laughs> that, that'd be interesting. But um, I I'm trying to think about when you're off-road, 
when this would be most useful. And it really, it's like like you would have been done on the weekend when you're approaching rocks and you're trying to climb rocks. Yeah. If you don't get your approach angle right, if you're facing the wrong way, this is mm -hmm. just another way that you can modify the position of the vehicle to get the best traction to it, um, to tackle and, and, the next the next rock or the next um, issue. And, well, the, the also the thing is like, well, you're going to have to think about how to problem solve with this additional piece of technology at your disposal because you've never had this available to you before and so yeah open sort of like you will have to think about well oh okay well how can i use this now um in a way that yeah you know you might not ever use it but there could be people well, out there because don't forget you you have a huge amount of talk available with the electric motors that you can't get yeah. at such a low rate um, with a, a traditional combustion engine. So you also get that advantage too when going over tough terrain. Yep. Yeah, because so, that's often the issue cool. when you're trying to get up over something, you've got to rev it harder to try and get yeah get that extra torque. Whereas here you just, away you go, just start crawling. Max torque yeah. at zero revs. Mm -hmm. So very cool. Um, and we know it's going to look awesome too. Yeah. Oh, even the teasers, they, um, I'm surprised I haven't seen anybody blow it up, you know, uh, extremely close. But, um, yeah, because they do give a little bit of a hint of an overview shot in that video. Um, but, yeah, yep. I hold high hopes. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, don't, I, think, um, I think a few people are excited that Hummer is returning as a brand in this way. I think it was a bit unexpected um, to do it so, this way. So tell me, if you had the chance, uh, new Hummer or an electric F-150? Oh. I might have to come back to you on this one because you'll be thinking about it for the next hour. <laughs> no, look, on, on, on first thing, I would say Hummer. And, and, and the reason why is this. The F-150 in electric form will be uh, like what we've always seen, a, an adapted platform. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. To do that. Yep. You know, so they've, they've taken out the combustion engine, whacked in the electric drivetrain, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we see that all the time. But the Hummer, and particularly with this, it's kind of like the Bronco where it's engineered in a very specific way to do a very specific thing. Um, yep. And you get all the, or hopefully, because we haven't seen it yet, you should get all of the benefits that that, that provides. And, and, and like this crab mode, this is like, we really haven't seen anybody leverage uh, an electric drivetrain like this to offer a totally new capability over and beyond, over and above, you know, oh, faster acceleration or, or um, quieter driving. Like those, you know, Rolls-Royce have been working on quieter driving for how, however many years, you know. Yep. Um, that's all they do. Um, the, the faster, well, everybody's making a faster car. It's just that, you know, and, and then you start yep. reaching the limits of what physics allows you to do um, with the material, like, you know, the tire technologies. And that's why everybody's sort of stuck in that 2.8, 2.9 second ROM. And then there's only a random set of cars at 1.9 seconds. But even, you know, we've never seen a production car arrive with those claims yet. Um, and you've got to still be able to get a human to drive it too, which exactly. <laughs> kind of yeah. put a bit of a limit on that. 
acceleration. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but yeah, yeah, what you mean is that they're doing. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a new. Hopefully, they're applying that new thinking. That's that's what I hope, and that's what would make me excited um, for the Hummer over the F one fifty. That's yeah. There you go. But what about this one, uh, Volkswagen? Um, yeah, my link isn't working for some reason. Um, but oh, the Bugatti one. Yeah, um, but essentially. Volkswagen could be selling uh, the Bugatti brand to Rimac Motors, um, which are the electric uh, car company, which is, funnily enough, 15% owned by by Porsche, um, as well as a whole heap of other brands, including, I believe, off the top of my head, Mercedes um, and a number of other automakers. Um, so... This is a continuation of what we see with uh, Volkswagen trimming off some of its enthusiast brands. So rumor has it that um, that they're considering selling off. I think it was Bentley. Um, who else was it? Was it Lamborghini as well? Sort of trimming trimming the fat and focusing on some core areas. And um, so obviously the advantage is um, Bugatti could be becoming all electric, um, which I think is the logical step because the W16 engine, you know, and what they're achieving physically with that engine is, um, you know, they are really at, the limits of IT yeah, technology, absolutely. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so electrification is the, the next logical step. And, uh, yeah, they've got the right investment. So it could be could be an exciting step moving forwards, and um, yeah. When you've got a car that's running sixteen radiators, um, I don't think you can go much further than that. No, no. <laughs> I think they just went. Yeah, okay. Let's just go electric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see the old EB one ten body style come back. Actually, that wedge. Yeah, well, they did do the the homage uh, version. I can't remember what they uh, what it was called, but they did do a. a, a a throwback to that EB110 model just recently. Um, but look, uh, speaking of throwback model, <laughs> McLaren in their that. nonstop uh, sort of special editions, they revealed the Senna GTR LM. So if the GTR wasn't exclusive enough of the already exclusive Senna, well, Hold your hats, everyone. The LM, there's only five, um, and it's inspired by the McLaren F1 GTRs that dominated the 1995 24-hour Le Mans, um, and which first, you know, which they finished first, second, fourth, fifth, and thirteenth. Um, and yeah, so each one is finished in a unique hand-painted livery, completed in in more than 800 hours of painstaking craftsmanship. Man, that would be a tough number of weeks painting those cars, wouldn't it? I'd hate to make a mistake <laughs> and be that guy to own up with it. It's like, obviously, they're very experienced, but, you know, no one's perfect. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, look, these, they already look crazy enough without being painted, but they 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 do look like art with these yeah. paint jobs, don't you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think of the center to, to look at normally? I actually quite like it. It's it is a bit in your face, a bit in your face. Are yeah. you kidding me? It's in your face, um, but everything seems to be functional and on purpose. It's not a. It's I mean it's not a um, a flourish for the sake of it. 
Um, it's bonkers. I quite like. like it is yeah. nuts. Um, it is a car. Like it's not the prettiest car by from any angle. No. Um, but it is a very functional vehicle, and I think that's really all you can can really say. It's it's a, it's a road car that's made to go fast around a track. It's it's one of those ones, and we've got an owner on the Gold Coast um, who very much uses it like that. They drive it to the track, they drive it hard, and they drive it home. Um, yeah. And and that is exactly what this car was made for, and to to basically honour and. Um, yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's cool, but yeah, these are these are probably already sold. Um, are they a customer commission now? They, I I can't see. Yeah, oh, uh, sorry. Yep. Uh, five customer commission examples of the McLaren Senna yeah. GTR. Yeah, and I, it's a shame your link isn't working because the the Golf version looks awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Oh, your link should work. Um, but we'll have a working one for you guys. But, yeah, I am love I am loving the, the golf version uh, in there. But I did, they don't even mention a price in that. So, um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think they ran out of zeros. Yeah. It's... Um, but yeah, no. So yeah, what's cool is all five owners will have the opportunity to participate in, to participate in an unprecedented Le Mans circuit driving experience at the race weekend in in 2021. Um, obviously, um, you know, with this year's been affected by COVID 19 restrictions, so they're giving you know they're extending that that option uh, to to next year. Um, but yeah, if if the power in the center GTR wasn't enough for you, it's upgraded to 833 brake horsepower and 590 foot-pounds of torque um, from the recalibrated 4-litre twin turbocharged V8. So it's another 19 horsepower over the, I like how they say, regular uh, McLaren Senna GTR. <laughs> the boring <laughs> one. Like, yep. You talk about a slap never in the face back. for GTR owners, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you thought yours was exclusive. Um, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's extremely yeah. cool. I wonder how that people fight over which which variant they would have preferred because um, they did one. Each one is different, um, and I'm sure each person has a you know sort of set of pre- set of preferences. Um, but I do love that they even did like the classic uh, McLaren F1 wheels. Um, you know that golf car painted in bright orange. Yeah. Um, with those bright orange wheels, I think it's just uh, yeah spectacular. But look, is there anything else? Uh, I, I, no, I'm just, just going to sit here and look at these. Um, yeah. Look at the ground effects kits and everything. You, you continue talking, Ash. <laughs> well, look, um, yeah, boy, a lot, a lot of news uh, this week, and we even, you know, that's that's the express version because um, we uh, we didn't talk about some of the stuff because Joel isn't here this week, and um, I th- you know we don't think we'd do it justice. Uh, no, yeah, motorsport expert. Yeah, so it's a, uh, but yeah, there's there's things like, uh, what was it? Where is it? Oh, I can't find it now. Like the Aston Martin uh, racing simulator for seventy odd thousand dollars. Um, oh, Alpine is entering uh, Le Mans as well. We did mention that um, Peugeot, Peugeot as well. 
yeah, so it's a fun time in motorsport, actually. Um, but yeah, but look, we won't hold you on any longer. We've uh, it's uh, pretty late at the moment. We're just about to crack Monday morning. Uh, it's uh, we we yeah, we really got to get better at this. We we spent an hour over an hour talking about the, the stuff we're going to discuss, and then we basically repeat the conversation. <laughs> we really got to get better at that. But you know, six months in, we're going to learn. Um, but no, thank you. Uh, if you've made it all this way in the, in the podcast episode, we'll um, we'll be back again next week. Make sure you rate and review us on on iTunes or on the Apple Podcast app. Um, it really does help. You can follow me at Daily Autofix. You can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo, and of course Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Um, you can or just Low Flight on Twitter. Oh, yep. There you go. Um, you really got you got to unify your brands, dude. Um, nah, okay. I've got time for that. <laughs> And never really get time for that. No. Um, but then you can also, if you do have any questions or uh, want us to to review anything, um, such as the Portofino uh, convertible, <laughs> let us know, and uh, we'll forward those emails to the manufacturer and say, "Look, see proof, proof that people want us to do this." Um, but yeah, you can do that at shows at dailyautofix.com. <sighs> but yeah. That's it. Thanks, Mick, for for joining us this week. No sweat. See you next week. Yep. All right. See ya. (laughs) 